Hey there, and welcome to another episode of The Bible. Wait, what? Yes, this is the podcast that unravels the mysteries of the Bible's most perplexing, puzzling, and thought-provoking passages. My name is Rowan, and each session I'm joined by a member of our team at C3 Church, Camden, Picton, and Thoreau, as they quiz me on some of the more complicated, confusing, challenging, and even confronting passages that we read in our weekly Bible reading plan. understand that reading the Bible can be a challenging and perplexing experience. Many people just don't know where to start, they get confused, and so they give up. Well, that's why this podcast exists, to equip you with the tools and the knowledge to explore the richness and depth of the Bible for yourself. So grab your Bible, take a deep breath, and join us as we explore this week's passages. learn more about us or to get in touch with us at C3 Church Camden, Picton and Thoreau, visit any of our three locations websites. That's c3camden.church, c3picton.church and c3thoreau.church. Or you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram and YouTube just by searching for any of our locations names. So without any further delay, let's dive into today's conversation. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of The Bible. Wait, what? Hello. I am sitting down with Adrian Schlosser today. My name is Rowan. If we haven't met before, welcome. Great to have you with us for the podcast. Hello, Adrian. Hello, Rowan. (laughs) Adrian has the official title of being the youngest person to have been on our podcast. I'm really excited so to be the youngest. Fun. You're really excited to be the youngest. <laughs> yes. His mum dobbed him in for it. So if you didn't listen to the conversation with Leonie, which we recorded just an hour or so, we had some lunch in between, but it was a couple of weeks ago if you were listening to these in real time. His mum dobbed you in, didn't she? Yes, she did. Um, Tell but, us about that story. Oh, well, I'm pretty happy to be on here anyway, like as in, this will be my like first like official podcast. You're, you're now podcasting uh, what do you, you you know, podcasting famous person now? Yeah, podcasting yeah, famous. This, this is a really famous podcast. It's a really famous podcast. <laughs> <laughs> no, but um, yeah, um, I'm just out of random, which is like, you want to do like a podcast with uh, Rowan? And, you know, on, I'm like, oh yeah, like the ones I've seen. Like I watched a few video, um, a few of the podcasts before. Oh great. And then, yeah, I was like, oh yeah, why not? You know, it can't be too hard. Oh, you'll you know, be awesome. Yeah, I just want to progress, and you know, something like this could be awesome oh, to be well a part done, of. Yeah, so, this yeah. is fantastic. I loved your attitude. And, you know, Adrian is very keen to learn and grow. hes I've been saying since he's a young man, he's got a call of God in his life. So this is a privilege to sit, for me to sit down with you too as, as another generation and just uh, have some hangout time. Hopefully we'll have more chance to do this moving forward, Adrian, but super proud of you. Yeah. The way I've seen you grow and develop in your faith over the last uh, the last several years has a been A lot of compliments. Really I'm blushing. <laughs> <laughs> You're blushing away. <laughs> no, I love your heart for God, your heart to learn, um, your humility. So keep that and you'll be fine. So uh, we're going to carry on with our Advent series today. And we, uh, we what are we on? As, we, as you listen to this, we're early December. If you're listening to this in real time, I think we're recording it. We're recording it real time as in early in October. So it's a couple of months after we record this before it's it's out there. Mm. Um, but nonetheless, uh, we are working through our Advent series. And so we've got some uh, repeat passages that we did with your mum yep. a couple of weeks ago, Matthew 1 and 2. We've got those and we've got some... Old Testament passages that we didn't do with your mum. 
as well. So um, we're going to have a good time. We're going we're gonna to kick it off with uh, the book of Isaiah, and we're actually looking at three chapters that uh, aren't are quite different to much of the book of Isaiah because mm. a lot of it is um, – is poetry and, and prophecy. This is actually a section of historical narrative we're going to read here where it's actually an explanation of actual events that took place. We call that historical narrative. So we're going to kick it off. How do you want to do it? Do you want to do Isaiah 38 and then have a pause and bring in our music in between and then go 30, uh, 36, 36, 37, yeah, 36, 38. Sorry, 38. 36. We'll have a break, even though it's kind of like well, 36 and 37 yeah. is one story. They're pretty we'll, big, but... They're big. So we'll kick it off with Isaiah 36. It's, it's interesting, yeah, because for some reason in my, in my brain I did the uh, Old Testament, like, chapters and everything first, and then I did the... Yeah. No, yeah, I did the, no, the, New, did Testament, the New Testament, then the Old. So how do you want to do it then? No, nah, we'll... We will yeah. do it that way? We'll do it um, Isaiah. So we'll do the like Isaiah that. ones. Yeah, okay, yeah, so, yeah. Uh, I, yeah, this is a this is a well-known story. This is the only story... We're going to... I'm giving you a bit of a heads up here. You might know this anyway, but this is the only story that appears... Three times in the Old Testament. Three times. It's, it's repeated three times, this story that we're about to read. So okay. when things are repeated three, there's a few things that are repeated twice, but this story is repeated three times. Once okay. in Isaiah, once in Chronicles, and where's the other one? Uh, once in Kings. Mm, yes. Oh, okay. Um, like as in, I, I went through the, the Bible, like the entirety of the Bible, and I do remember this story um, coming up, and it's pretty significant because God does a few crazy a stuff with pr- it. It's a pretty crazy miracle, this one, isn't oh, it? Oh, it is, yeah. yeah, yeah. Especially like Isaiah, what was it? I think it's 38, which is something I wanted to talk about. I have a bit more on. Okay, cool. Yeah, All which right. is yeah, which is interesting. All right, we'll do that when we get to it. It's jarring, yeah. So where do you want to start then? Oh, well, Isaiah 36. 36, yeah. all right. <laughs> Kick us off. Where would you, off. How would you like to go? You want to read? Yeah, I'll just read it pretty much all the way through. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in the 14th year of King Hezekiah's reign, um, I don't know how to pronounce his name. Sena, Se, well, we say Sennacherib. Che, Sennacherib? Sennacherib. Sennacherib is probably the correct <laughs> pronunciation, but we'll go with Sennacherib. Sennacherib, <laughs> yes. King of Syria uh, attacked all the fortified cities of Judah and captured them. Then the king of Assyria sent his field commander with a large army from Lachish. 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 <laughs> uh, to King Hezekiah at Jerusalem. Uh, when the commander stopped at the aqueduct of the uh, of the upper pool on the road to the launderer's field. What is that? I don't know. Where the clothes were being washed. Okay. It's literally the laundry. Literally laundry the field. The town laundry field. Wow, yep. okay. Yep. Okay. Um, Elakim? 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 Eliakim, I think. Eliakim. Let's go with Eliakim. Son of Hilakiah? Yep. Yes, I got that correct. All right. The palace administrator, uh, Shibana, Shibana, Shebna, Shebna, the secretary. Is it, but I should say, look, there's no right or wrong way to say these because the way we say it in English is probably yeah. nothing like they were in Hebrew. But. <laughs> probably not butchering them so badly, but oh well. Joah is it Joah? Yeah, let's go with Joah. That Joah, son of Aspar, the recorder went out to him. Uh, the field commander said to them, "Tell Hezekiah, this is what the great king, the king of Assyria, says. On what are you basing this confidence of yours?" You say you have counsel and might for war, but you speak only empty words. On whom are you depending, but you rebel against me? Look, I know you are depending on Egypt, that splintered reed of a staff, which pierces the hand of anyone who leans on it. Such is Pharaoh king of Egypt, all who depend on him. But if you say to me, we are depending on the Lord our God, isn't he the one whose high places and altars Hezekiah removed? saying to Judah and Jerusalem, you must worship before this altar. Come now, make a bargain with my master, king of Assyria. 
I will give you 2,000 horses if you can put riders on them. How then can you repulse uh, one officer of the least of my master's uh, officials, uh, even though you are depending on Egypt for chariots and horsemen? Furthermore, have I come to attack and destroy this land without the Lord? The Lord himself told me to march against this country and destroy it. Um, I'll stop there for a little bit. Sure. So I was very confused about this bit. I was like, what? Um, there's a kind of, kind of contradictory right there. Uh, horsemen, I destroy this land without... Oh, sorry. Furthermore, I have come to attack and destroy this land without the Lord. And then he goes on, the Lord himself told me to march against this country yeah. and destroy it. What the heck? Does he mean like the Lord, his Lord? Or uh, does he mean like the he's, Lord as he's in... He's claiming the, the Yahweh, Israel's God, has told him to do it. Whoa, okay. It's a little bit like, this reads a little bit like a WWE to me. That Like, you know, they're just in each each ring and they're just kind of bad-mouthing each other and big-noting themselves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like that taunting kind of thing. Yeah. So really what he's saying is he's, he's making a claim. A foreign power is making a claim. You think your God, the Lord, Yahweh? Very mocking. It's mocking. Mocking Extremely. is what it is. Like a, I've never seen like no. someone so mocking. This. It's incredibly mocking. The whole thing, the ch- the ch- the taunt is designed to put fear, like a mock does. In you know whether it's a, a sledging, it's like a sledging in a sport. It's mm. like it's supposed to instill fear into the people of Jerusalem. That oh, you even think your God is really protecting you? Well, that's he's the one who even told me to come here and. It's take interesting you here. that he doesn't even need to do it though, but he just does it anyway. Like he, he mocks them. Yep. Not because, like, he just wants to mock them. That's right. I mean, he's a, he's an absolutely overwhelming power. Mm. This There is no way that Jerusalem can survive this this attack if uh, God doesn't show up, if mm. the Lord doesn't show up for them. Mm. They've defeated, he's going to go on and say this, they've defeated all these other powers all around. And I talked about this with your mum on the previous episode. These Assyrians are ruthless. They are a ruthless empire, renowned for known for raping, killing, pillaging, the whole deal. They were they were ruthless. If a young girl fell into the slavery... On level two, like, let's say, which is put... Because Babylon's coming up. Babylon like, is know, coming few, up after few, Assyria. Yeah, after yep. Assyria. So, like, what what level is Assyria compared to Babylon? Um, oh, well, historians will argue about it I th- <laughs> as to whether or not Babylon were worse or better. I think there's probably some evidence that the Assyrians, when it came to this kind of thing, were probably more ruthless than Babylon. Um, but it doesn't, doesn't make Babylon, Babylon bad. No. It doesn't make Babylon Not good. Any, yeah. <laughs> but I think there was a level of ruthlessness among the Assyrians which was which was pretty bad. Mm. The whole book, book of Jonah is written about the Assyrians. They're the ones who Jonah tells them, go and tell them to repent. And you know, and he says, no way, I don't want them to repent. They, they're, they're terrible. They don't deserve your terrible grace. Terrible people. Terrible yeah. people, yeah. So the Assyrians, some of the, probably some of the most ruthless people that have ever lived as an empire on the planet. And they had conquered pretty much. It even says at the start of this chapter they've conquered all the way to Jerusalem. It's not the rest of the Jerusalem's the capital of the nation of Judah, but they've conquered Lachish, which is actually another town um, in the foothills of Judah. You can definitely see why he has so much confidence. He's like, absolutely, we've already like destroyed and taken over this many. Yeah, how are you any? How are you any different? I mean, who do you think you are? Is the level of taunting that (laughs) he has, which kind of like adds to the anticipation of the story. Mm. That we're going to see as we move on, but mm. yes, so he's he's not he's not he's not saying God told him to go there. In fact, we know later that God didn't tell him to go there. Mm. Um, we'll, we'll see that when Isaiah issues the rebuke on behalf of the Lord. But he's so full of himself. I do like. I read the rebuke. And the I rebuke's love it. pretty cool. Isn't it? I love it. Like we'll get there. Yeah. Anyway, read up to it. It's a bit. Once again, it's a bit like a taunt back. It's yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's almost like God's taunting him back again. Yeah, for his like arrogance. I've never seen like uh, a, such a clear difference between like clashing, yes. like as in. 
here we have like the king of Assyria versus the king like Hezekiah of like Jerusalem. Yeah, and and Hezekiah is re- reliant on the his Lord, his on God. God. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, it's, it's it's pretty awesome. So cool, the difference, isn't it? Yeah. Okay, yeah. I'll keep reading then. Sure. Um, then, oh no, Eliakim, Eliakim, Eli, uh, Eliakim, Eliakim, she, what was it? Shebna, Shebna, and Joah yep. said to the field commander, "Please speak to your servants in Arabic. Oh no, Aramaic. Since we understand it, don't speak to us in Hebrew in the hearing of the people on the wall." But the commander replied, "Was it only to your master that you, my master, uh, when it, the you that uh, my master sent me?" Uh, was to it say to you the, only? Yep. Yeah, yeah. Okay, <laughs> that's a wordplay. Thank, thank you, Tom. Yeah, it's a bit of a play on words. Uh, what, I'll read it again. <laughs> Go for it. Well, was it only to your master and you that my master sent me to say these things and not to the people sitting on the wall, who, like you, will have to eat their own excrement and drink their own urine? Like, <laughs> Lovely, my gosh. Do you, want me to read, uh, do you want me to read it to you in the King James Version of the Bible? Yes, please. But Rabshaker is the... That whatever it's just, they call the title for the guy who's doing the speaking, the yep. commander of the army. Come on, but Rabshakeh said, "Hath my master sent me to thy master and to thee to speak these words? Hath he not also sent me to the men that sit upon the wall that they may eat their own dung and drink their own piss with you?" Oh, jeez! <laughs> there it is in the King James version. Oh my gosh! <laughs> I've Gross. never forgotten that. I learned that in Bible college. <laughs> <laughs> I and like I, that version. Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> oh, beautiful. There you go. Yeah. Anyway, that's, again, just keeps them going. Just well, that's right. It's this, they're taunting. you got to picture this. The, the city is surrounded by an army mm. and their walls are on them and all the soldiers, you can imagine them trembling on the top of the army and they're listening to the, the leader and the commander shouting these taunts. Now, one of the guys went out and said, oh, could you just talk to us quietly? Talk to us in a language that those guys don't want. Because they're worried that there's what's what do you think is going to happen if these they're going to get discouraged? Yeah, they're going to get disheartened. Maybe they'll maybe they'll just roll over and surrender. Or when you're yeah facing a, an army and an empire as big as the Syria, totally, and they're like, hearing these taunts, and so the the commander goes, "Hey, I'm not going to speak just to you guys. I'm going to yeah. speak to them as well." And then he just ke- continues with the whole. Uh, carrying on with the, all the sort of the ribbing and the the sledging, doesn't he? Yeah, it just keeps on going. It's weird how this is like one of the yeah one of the like um, books in the Bible that has one of these where it's just he just keeps on yeah, going, keeps going. Um, I'll keep reading it. Then the commander stood and called out in Hebrew, "Hear the words of the great king, the king of Assyria. This is what the king says: Do not let Hezekiah deceive you; he cannot deliver you. Uh, do not let Hezekiah persuade you." Um, to trust in the Lord when he says, the Lord will surely deliver us. This city will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Do not listen to Hezekiah. This is what the king of Assyria says. Make peace with me and come out to me. Then each of you will eat uh, fruit from your own vine and fig tree. Drink water from your own cistern until I come and take you to a land like your own, a land of grain, new wine, a land of bread and vineyards. Why, Why the heck is he trying to persuade them? What's uh, going on there? Like, why was he? Why would? Why want, would he just not conquer them? Why would he just not conquer them? Why does he Good want to question. persuade them? It's All right, so let, strange. Let, okay, so let's just think about this from a a military perspective, because we often think that um, we often think like if you're an enemy power that you just want to conquer everybody and just take the land for yourself, right? Yeah. But if you think about it from an economic perspective, you need people to farm that land for you. Yeah, true. Okay, so what they would often do is that they would try to avoid fighting if they didn't need to, okay? And even in this situation with a, with a massive army behind them, a good military soldier is going to think, a uh, king's going to think, well, I don't want to 
risk my own risk my own soldiers' lives if I don't have to because if every soldier I die that weakens my kingdom. True. So they would this was normal. They would issue terms for peace. That's basically what they're doing. They're they're basically trying to convince Jerusalem to surrender. They're going. Why do you even want to bother to fight this? We've got you know even the weakest of our forces could annihilate the strongest of yours. Of course you should give in. Mm. And if you do give in. You can stay here for a while. Eventually we'll take you somewhere else and you can farm a different land, but you're going to have peace. And so even a ruthless army understood that um, if they had the choice of having people surrender and then they would move them out of their homeland, they would take them somewhere else. So that's what the Assyrians did. They relocated people. And part of that was because people's religion was based on their link to the land. So people had national gods that they worshipped. So they saw... They, they saw that Yahweh was Israel's God in this land, so they would take them out of there and take them, they might take them to somewhere else in the empire, you know, hundreds of miles away and relocate them there. And then they might bring people from somewhere else and put them in the land of Israel and they would be in the land of Judah and they would be farming the land. So that's mm. why they're saying, they're basically saying, look, come on, you haven't got a chance, so why don't you surrender now? And I promise you, I won't kill you. I'll take you somewhere else and you'll basically you'll be my subjects. And that's how empires were built. They they fought when they had to, but they, they would amass enough military might that they wouldn't have to fight, that people would just roll over. Forcibly employing them for forcibly, the economy forcibly, of Assyria. Exactly. Exa- <laughs> you got it exactly. Yeah. And that's how it worked. That's ancient That's ancient economy, yeah. ancient warfare. And they would call sometimes they would call these kingdoms vassal kingdoms. So sometimes they would still let the king, sometimes they'd, they'd relocate them, sometimes they'd take the king or take the royal family away and then they'd appoint a vassal king, which is like just maybe a a, someone king. from the courthouse, a puppet king, put them there and they would say, look, you can you can have dominion over your area as long as you pay us taxes. And that was kind of the analogy. So, yeah. you know, because then they wouldn't have to spend their people on the fringes of the empire because where this is, this is, this is right on the far stretches of the Assyrian empire. So this is like... Um, if you're thinking, let's say, let's say the heartland of the empire is in Adelaide, um, you know, you can only go so far. So this might be like um, Israel might be in Canberra, and there's not much more between Canberra and the coast. No, not at so, all. So you know, it's the further you are away from the heartland of where the empire meets, the harder it is to manage that empire. That you, it's harder to bring down rebellions and all that kind of stuff. So this is where this is. It's a long way away. So if they can Strategically, get strategically, it's it's very sound and it makes sense. Correct, yeah. and that's what yeah. they that's what they're doing. So yeah. they, they don't want to fight if they don't have to. Yeah, I guess uh, all this is like leading up to how how black is it since you know Israel at this point, you know. Jerusalem's tiny. Yes. Their people are like minuscule. They're like a small percentage of like the world at this point. And like, yeah. you know, they're the only thing left. Um, it just shows how how God, you know, really still cares about them. That's a great way to put <laughs> Which it. Which is leading yep. up to it. It's leading, leading up what we're going to see is this miracle. We're see, yeah, yep, the miracle. Yep. Um, so I keep reading. Yep. Um, wait, which one was after? I think I was up to... Mm, about verse 18 or thereabouts. I think 18, yeah. Uh, Do not let Hezekiah mislead you when he says the Lord will deliver us. Um, have the gods of any nations ever deliver, uh, delivered their lands from the hand of the king of Assyria? Uh, where are the gods of Hamath and uh, Arpad? Mm-hmm. Uh, where are the gods of... Uh, Sephavayim. Sephavayim, thank you. Thought I'd jump in for that <laughs> one for <laughs> <laughs> uh, Have they rescued Samaria from my hand? Uh, who of all the gods of these countries have been able to save their uh, lands from me? How then can the Lord deliver Jerusalem from my hand? Uh, but the people remained silent and said nothing in reply because the king had commanded, do not answer him. Um, then Eliakim, son of Hilakiah, the son administrator, 
Shebna, the secretary, and Joah, son of Asphah, the recorder, went to Hezekiah with their clothes torn and told him what the field commander had said. And like most of the time, because does that happen a lot? Where like if something crazy happens or a major disgrace or anything, I don't know, where they just rip off their clothes. Yes, and, it was well, a. It's, it'd probably be a weird thing to see nowadays, but it then would it would be been like, oh wow, they're in like it's real distress. It's real distress. It's real grief, and you got to remember, you know, clothes weren't easy to come by too. So and they, and these guys probably they're part of the royal court. These are that's these insane. are pretty wealthy clothes. Yeah, and they're just, and they're ripping, just them. ripping them. Like, yeah, that still take a lot of strength. It would take a lot of stress. Thank so goodness. it's a sign of distress. That's yeah. exactly right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's interesting that the the king also said, um, "Do not answer him." Mm. Do what do you think that him. was? I'm not too sure. I think my maybe it was because he knew that you know they were going to do the taunting. And he knew there would be no way that the average soldier on the on the wall is going to be able to respond without being taunted back. True, true. So yeah. sometimes if you if you're receiving the same principle it's applies. It's a bit like those fruitless like uh, conversations where it's just like yes. you're aggravating like he's and you're just basically what he's already said he's going to say once more, yep, that's and right. you have nothing. You cannot say anything yep. back to that. Yep, it's only going to yep. aggravate. It's only going to aggravate. So you know, um, okay. it's like the whole thing of it's better not to say something. Than yeah. say something and get yourself further into it. Further into exactly. It. Yeah. That's that's the principle. There's, there's, there's nothing like a, to be gained. Isn't there here. like a verse where it's like there's no point of hashing out your conversations with someone who's yes, not willing to? It's all through the book of Proverbs. Yeah. All the way through. Yeah, there's things those, like yeah. um rebuke a fool yeah. and you'll receive a fool's reward. Yeah. 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 So you know, that, that's what it's like. It's like sometimes it's better just to keep your mouth shut. Just keep your mouth shut. You're not gonna get anywhere. And clearly in this case they weren't gonna get anywhere. And like I guess the more that they said the more than this king of Syria is like, yeah, so why don't you yeah, join our don't kingdom? You, why don't you join it. our kingdom? Yeah, that's exactly yeah. right. Yep. No, so that's it. And they were, Egypt's just down the road, and they had, during this time, Israel were trying to forge an alliance with Egypt, which is ironic because that's the nation that they'd come out of in the it Exodus. Was, it was weird to hear. Yes, it's, like it's Egypt. Ma- I mean, it's many years later. We're talking uh, a thousand, probably, no, probably 800 years later or something. And they had had periods of time with Egypt. But and the Egypt, enemy of and my enemy is my friend. You got it exactly. That's the point. And the thing was, Egypt was the real enemy to the Assyrians. Yeah. They were the big power. So Israel at this time was not a big power. Israel and Judah were not big powers. Um, Assyria were moving. They were, as I said, they were. Uh, Israel was Judah was right on the fringes of their border. The very next kingdom is Egypt. They were more interested in Egypt. Assyria were, to be honest. Because that was the superpower that they they were up against. Yeah, um, I can just see it. Yeah, can these guys were in the middle. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like I can see it throughout it. Yeah, like all the mocking and everything. So like, we're, we're going to crush you anyway. Yeah, like isn't we're going to take you in because like, you're not actually you're, our focus. Who do you not, think you are? We're not interested in you. Who do you think <laughs> I think we're actually interested in? <laughs> you're a, not Egypt. You're just some small totally. little. Like, you got it. And even even nothing. the way he um. Even the way he rebukes Egypt, he goes, who do you think you are trusting in Egypt? <laughs> yeah, you know, exactly. It's just like a splintered reed, like a solid reed. You, you put your hand on it, it's going to poke you through the hand. They're nothing, you know. Yeah. So it's, a bit, it's just it's just war talk, yeah. really. It's sledging. The whole mm. chapter is a giant sledge fest. It really is, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but it, it gets you in it. It's, it really does. It's the scene. Yeah, yeah, it's probably why I did start really liking this one. Yeah, it's All good. Right. All right, so we'll carry on. Is that it for that chapter? Yeah, that's it All for right, that we'll chapter. carry on with the story in chapter 37. 37, yes. Isaiah 30. Um, so we'll be jumping into Isaiah uh, 37 next, which is um, basically after Isaiah 36, you know, big <laughs> the sledge. commander, big sledge, all the mocking and yep. everything like that. Um, yeah. And, and this one's, oh, this one's also quite intense as well. 
Um, and uh, was it? I think um, Hezekiah. I'll just read it. Yeah, just go ahead. Um, yeah, the story it, tells itself. It tells it? itself. Like yeah. I don't need to explain it. It tells itself. So it says, um, uh, "When he, uh, King Hezekiah heard this, he tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and uh, went into the temple of the Lord. He sent uh, Elikim, Elikim, <laughs> the palace administrator, uh, Shebna, the secretary, the, uh, and the leading priests, all wearing." Um, sackcloth to the prophet Isaiah, son of Amos. They told him, this is what um, Hezekiah says. Uh, this day is a day of distress and rebuke and disgrace, as when children come to um, the moment of birth and there is no strength to deliver them. It may be that the Lord your God um, will hear the words of the field commander, whom his master, the king of Assyria, has sent to ridicule the living God and that he will rebuke him for the words the Lord your God has heard. Therefore, pray for the remnant that still survives. Yeah, there's the, the what, there's basically, therefore, pray for the remnant that still survives. Um, I'm assuming, because remnant, remnant is tiny. It's remnant a small, small amount. It's a yeah. small amount. And this is a remnant because, like, a, what has happened is the Assyrians have swept into the nation and have basically come up to Jerusalem. It's the last outpost. The rest of the nation has been taken over. So I would assume that there'd been people killed. I would assume that many from the fields and from other towns had made their way to Jerusalem to mm. come inside the safety of the walls, but there's only a, a small portion left. Yeah. Mm. Mm. And this could, you know, this could annihilate the Jewish story. That's what we we faced with with the possibility of the whole thing ending here. The, yeah, the amount of I guess the amount of stress Hezekiah is feeling at the moment. Because like, he's thinking I guess would would you say he wouldn't have any doubt cuz would he have doubt? Is it, there any doubt there? Because well, it, it's definitely anguish, isn't it? It's I mean, Reed, this is a day of trouble and insults and disgrace. He, what he's describing there is a deep level of anguish. Yeah, because he wouldn't be. Would he be? He wouldn't be afraid of like the lineage ending, like um, as in of. Yeah, you know, he. I think we we, we often miss about Hezekiah because he's a godly king. Hmm. Is he? He actually had a conversion back to his father. King Ahaz, he was he was a very wicked king. He had turned his back on God. It's crazy that Hezekiah's even ended up like this. Exactly. Well, that has to do with uh, the book of Micah. Actually, there's a, there's a, the prophecy of Micah comes to Hezekiah and probably is instrumental in converting him back. So King Hezekiah, he's for for a generation, at least one generation, if not two, before mm. his dad and possibly I think his granddad. Certainly, his grand great grandfather was godly. I think I'm not sure about his grandfather, but he, his father definitely wasn't godly. In fact. His father has had um, sacrificed Hezekiah's older brother in the fire south of Jerusalem to a foreign god. So Hezekiah was probably a young boy and had seen his older brother sacrificed in a fire. Um, so this is how this is what he's raised up with. And then Hezekiah has, you know, turned back to God. Mm. He's reinstituted worship. He's turned the nation back to God again. So he has a faith, but I wouldn't for a moment, think that he, in his mind he's thinking, you know, have I done the right thing? You know, because the com- back in my father's generation, um, things weren't so bad. I mean, yes, there was, it looked like they were living in relative bad. peace. Yeah. yeah, there was horrible, horrible stuff going on, but it re- the Assyrians were starting to, well, this is when the Assyrian power comes to the doorstep of Jerusalem. So I think just like all of us, I think there's a mixture of faith and doubt together. I don't think any of us are ever going to be 100% perfect. He doesn't know what to do. All he knows to do is oh, go and check with the prophet Isaiah because he's been he's been around for a few generations. He's he's probably an old man by this point, Isaiah. Mm. 
Um, and so he says, I'm going to go and check with him. What do we do now? Yeah. Um, I'm glad like um, the fact that he goes to like, he doesn't just be like, oh no, I don't know what to do. I can't do it in my, like his knees just lives to, he lives in his own power. Instead he goes like, all right, this is something like I'm going to yeah. rely on like God. You got it. This I'm is beyond rely, me. This is beyond me now. I need God to show up. I need up. God to show up. That's right. Yeah, but that's his, that's his response yeah, instead totally. of being like, I need to somehow tackle this. Isn't that important? That's an important lesson for us. Yeah. When we're faced with hardships, that's exactly what you got. You know, do we go to God first or do we just try to think, I've got to fix this problem. Mm. I've, got to, I've got to defeat this army that's coming against me in my life. Yeah. No, we go to God first. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah great. Yeah. Mm. All right. Well, I'll keep them reading. Uh, when King Hezekiah's officials came to uh, Isaiah, Isaiah said to them, tell your master, this is what the Lord says. Do not be afraid of what you have heard. This is Sledge Part 2. Sledge Part 2. <laughs> <laughs> uh, these words with which uh, the underlings of the king of Assyria have blasphemed me. Listen, uh, when he hears a certain report, I will make him want to return to his own country. And there I'll have him cut down with a sword. Just straight up. Just, yep. I'm just going <laughs> to... Bring his judgment to him. Bring him judgment to him. Um, when the field commander heard... Um, uh, the king of Syria had left Lakesh. He withdrew and found the king fighting against uh, Libna. Is that Libna? Libna, yep. Yep, Libna. And now Sennacherib. Sennacherib? Yes, Sennacherib. Yes, Sennacherib received a report that Tahaka. Tahaka, okay. King of Kush was marching out to fight against him. So Kush is, says in my version, Ethiopia. It's an African country. So from down south of Egypt. Whoa, okay. Yep, so they. Africans were, were coming up to fight against them, which is what they were doing. They were pushing into Africa. Assyria was trying to push into Africa. Yep. Mm, okay. All right. Um, when he heard it, uh, he, s- he sent messengers to Hezekiah with this word. Uh, Say to Hezekiah, king of Judah, do not let the God um, you depend on deceive you when he says Jerusalem will not be given into the hands of the king of Assyria. Surely you have heard... Uh, what the kings of Assyria have done to all the countries, destroying them completely. Uh, and will you be delivered? Uh, did the gods of the nations that were destroyed by my predecessors deliver them? The gods of Gozan, um, Haran, um, Pez, Peziah? No, Pezfa. Yeah. Re- Re- yeah. So <laughs> Rezfa? I'm yeah. not sure which one. What does it say in your version? How does it spell it? Um, R-E-Z-E-P-H. Uh, re- oh, there it is. Rezef. I'm looking Rezef, further down. Sorry. Rez- I don't know. Rezef. Yeah, Rezef will do. Yeah. And the people of, of Eden who are in Tel Azar, um, where is the king of Hamath or the king of Arpad? Uh, where are the kings of La and Sephavayim? Sephavayim, Hannah and uh, Iva. Iva? Yeah, Iva. that'll do. Oh, my gosh. Okay. You're doing well, actually. <laughs> Thank you. The mouthful, Hezekiah received the letter from the messengers and read it. Uh, then he went up to the temple of the Lord, spread it out before the Lord, and Hezekiah prayed to the Lord, Lord Almighty, God of Israel, enthroned between the cherubim, you alone are God over all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Give ear, Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, Lord, and listen. Oh, and see, listen to all the words uh, Sennacherib, no, Sennacherib has sent to ridicule the living God. Um, it is true, Lord, that the Assyrian kings have laid waste uh, all these people and their lands. They have thrown their gods into the fire and destroyed them. They were not gods, but only wood and stone. 
fashioned by human hands. Now, Lord our God, deliver us from his hand, so that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you, Lord, are the only God. Then Uzziah, son of Amos, sent a message to Hezekiah. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says, because you have prayed to me concerning uh, uh, Sennacherib, uh, king of Assyria. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, the Lord has spoken against him. And then I really like this part. Yep. Yeah. This is the taunt back. This isn't is the it? taunt back. This is what this is what the this is what the Lord in heaven says. <laughs> says, Virgin daughter Zion despises and mocks you. Daughter Jerusalem tosses her head as you flee. Who is it you have ridiculed and blasphemed? Against whom have you raised your voice and lifted your eyes in pride? Against the Holy One of Israel. By your messengers, you have ridiculed the Lord. And you have said, with my many chariots, I have ascended the heights of the mountains, the utmost heights of Lebanon. I have cut down its tallest uh, cedars, the choices of its jupiters. I have reached its remote, uh, remotest heights, the finest of its forest. I have dung, uh, dug wells in foreign lands and drunk the water there. With the, f- with the soles of my feet, I have dried up all the streams of Egypt. Have you not heard? Long ago, I obtained it. In days of old, I planned it. Now I have brought it to pass that you have turned fortified cities into piles of stone. The people drained of power are dismayed and put in shame. They are like plants in the field, like tender green shoots, like grass sprouting on the roof, scorched before it grows up. But I know where you are, where you come and go, and how you rage against me. Because you rage against me, and because your insolence has reached my ears, I will put my hook in your nose and my bit in your mouth. I will make you return by the way you came. This will be the sign for you, Hezekiah. This year you will eat what grows by itself, and the second year what springs from that. But in the third year sow and reap, plant vineyards and eat that fruit. Once more a remnant of kingdom of Judah will take root below and bear fruit above. For out of Jerusalem will become a remnant, out of Mount Zion a band of survivors. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Therefore, this is what the Lord says concerning the king of Assyria. He will not enter this city or shoot an arrow here. He will not come before it with shield or build a siege ramp against it. By the way that he came, he will return and he will not enter the city. Declares the Lord, I will defend this city and save it for the sake of for my sake and for the sake of David, my servant, Mike Drop. Yeah, Mike Drop is exactly right. You get this picture of just God just going, I got this. Yeah, just like, <laughs> I just, just like, I don't know. I just, would you say uh, God would be pretty angry at this point, would he? Or yeah. is he just, you know, basically pulling up his muscles? Uh, I think it's a little bit of that. Yeah. It's the old uh, Our God is an Awesome God song. Yeah, Our God is so an Awesome the, God. The, 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 um, Verses to that song, which we often didn't don't sing in church. Yeah, there's one that says, "When he rolls up his sleeves, he ain't just putting on the ritz." So yep. God is an awesome God. There's thunder in his footsteps and lightning in his fists. Yeah, it's a bit like that. It's like this: the king of Assyria is mocking in his insolence that I did this and I did that and I I conquered this and I yeah, conquered yeah, that. Yeah. And it's basically God saying, "You think you conquered that? I gave you. You're an instrument in my hand. I allowed that to bring judgment against these other nations. But don't you for a moment think that I'm not in control here? Yeah. So I love the way you said mic drop because that is the, that's the picture of this story. Literally, yeah. And so I was just like, I was I was basically smiling as I was reading. Yeah, this. I, know. So I was like, oh my goodness. And, and the story, Whoa. the story is exactly that's exactly what happens. Yeah. Um, 
you know, uh, it's exactly that. Straight we, after this, yeah. We don't actually see it. This. I don't actually think we see it in the Isaiah, um, in the Isaiah account, do we? We actually do. We actually see that how they get called away, and the king doesn't actually tell us in the Isaiah account what happens. I don't think. Right, you mean how he punishes them? How he punishes them. Oh, no, it does. Literally does? straight after it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. If you're finished reading then that. Then the angel of the Lord went out um, oh, there we go. Yeah, to death 185,000 yep. uh, in the Assyrian camp. Uh, when the people go up, uh, got up the next morning, uh, there were all the dead bodies. So Serenashib, king of Assyria, um, broke camp and withdrew. He returned to Nineveh. Um, and stayed there one day while he was worshipping in the temple of his god, uh, Nisroch, uh, his sons... Uh, Adremelech? Uh, what was it? Adremelech. Oh, Adremelech and, and Sherazir uh, killed him with the sword and they escaped to the land of Arak, Ararat. Ararat? Yep. Yeah. And um, Ashuron? Ashid, no. Esahadon? Esahadon. Okay. Uh, his son that, succeeded him as king, which basically was said, like, wasn't it in... Isaiah 36. Yes, yes, yeah. it did. That he would die he would by die. the sword. He would yeah. die by sword. And wow, yep. what a way to go. What like, a way to go. <laughs> his own son's just... Yeah. And it took a, a supernatural thing. I mean, this is a big army, 185,000 wiped out. soldiers and wiped he out. he died. So, you know, scholars yeah. say, what what happened there? Was it was it the angel of the Lord? Was it, you know, did God use something like a plague or whatever? And There are a lot of, like, drawings of it too. Like, there as are. in people who've painted it, you know, yes. where an angel's standing there yeah, exactly. with armies, yeah. like, dead behind yeah. and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah, I, I tend to think, you know, while it, I, I, I think that it's a good chance it may have been some kind of plague. Um, you gotta, so what, it, what had happened is they'd been doing all this sledging and then they got word that the guys down in Africa were launching. So they kind of mm. left it. They left a small contingent there when they sent this letter basically to say, hey, just because we're leaving... Don't think we won't be back, you know. It's really, they had no choice. They had to go and defend against this bigger army, but don't think we'll be back. You don't think we won't come back. But they did come back. And when they obviously came back, maybe there was a plague. Maybe God just sovereignly defended them. I don't know. We get into all kinds of, mm. I mean, it's a confronting story to think that oh, all these people would die. So we won't go beyond that. There are different views. Was it actually the angel of the Lord? Was that their understanding of the time that God brought judgment upon them for their their wickedness? Um, regardless, it was a supernatural delivery, as I say, is recorded three times because if this is the last outpost of Jewish history, Jerusalem, mm. and it survives this and it will actually ultimately under the Babylonians will will get carried off into exile and there'll be an even smaller remnant left, just a few thousand It just gets left, smaller. And it gets smaller, smaller and smaller again. Yeah. This story, though, um, is remarkable for a number of reasons. There's a famous tunnel that you can still go through when you go to Jerusalem today called Hezekiah's Tunnel. And uh, it's one of the most, one of my favorite experiences in Jerusalem, actually. It'd it's, be awesome to actually visit. That. Yeah, well, it, it would be. So what, <laughs> what happened was you read it in the other versions, that the water source for Jerusalem is called the Gihon Spring. And it's just a spring, but it's outside the city walls. And so they would go out through the walls, walk down, draw their water and come back inside. And what happened was, when this army amassed on their, well, they knew that the army was coming because they'd conquered everywhere else. And Hezekiah said something like, why should they come here and find all this water? What we'll do is we'll stop up the spring, block up the spring, mm. and we'll dig a tunnel and we'll channel the water inside the city walls. And so they build about an 800-meter tunnel through solid rock. That is insane. It is Especially for the human hands. Human hands built with like chisels and picks, right? They build a tunnel and when you walk through it, it's at times you have to bend over uh, and then at other times it opens up to like the height of the ceiling, four or five metres above your head. But most of the time it's just above head height. 
It's got water running through it. Um, it's beautiful on a hot day because it runs through – it bet. goes between ankle height and about waist height as you walk through this tunnel. I was in there for over an hour the first time because it was really slow. <laughs> um, it's so much fun. But they built this tunnel from two opposite ends, from the outside the city and inside the city, and it weaves around and they joined up in the middle. It's quite amazing. They reckon how they joined up in, a mir- in the middle is a miracle themselves. Um, but they joined this tunnel up and they p- took all the water and they p- pumped it in and it goes into what is the pool of Siloam, which was the pool that they used as Israel's water source at the time of Jesus. And so they did that. They blocked up the water and sent it inside. And that's partly why they were able to survive mm. because they needed water to survive and they prevented – and some. that's why some scholars think, well, maybe those that were camped outside, they couldn't get any fresh water because the only water source in the area had been de- developed, had been moved inside. So maybe they got some kind of plague or they got sick or they couldn't, you know, they couldn't wash, they couldn't drink healthy, clean water. Maybe they were drinking unhealthy water and all that sort of stuff. Mm. Could be any of those things, but in the end, God delivered his people. But it's kind of insane. Even, like, would they really be that stupid to not bring their own water? Oh, it's 140, what, thousand of Yeah, them. but you can only bring so much water with you. Yeah, but it's still a large army. Yeah, I, yeah, I guess like so. But all you, of them dying at once—that's kind of insane. Well, that's why I think that's why a lot of people think it was either literally the angel or it was some kind of serious plague yeah. that swept through them all. So it depends on how you read the Old Testament, whether you want to read it literally, word for word, or whether you go, "No, this is this is people commenting on their understanding of what happened." But one way or another, that God delivered them. He did, you know, and that's what Hezekiah—that's what Isaiah promised that God would deliver His people, and He did supernaturally deliver His people. Like, yeah, He prayed. And they were delivered. That's right. Because like that part. Like, totally. And I think that. it's even Isaiah even says, because you have prayed, this is what the Lord because says. Because you have prayed. That should tell us something. Yeah. How often do we not pray, just try to solve things ourselves, and God's just yeah. wanting to partner with us, but he's going, hey, will you let me be the senior partner or are you trying yeah. to be the senior partner? Yeah, exactly. Um, I th- it, You know the the part where it's because it's not very specific on like how, how they died or, or whatever about that, like I said, but. Um, what you said um, with mum, my mum, Leonie, um, where it's like, ooh, I better bring it closer. Bring your microphone yeah, a bit closer. Bring a bit closer. Um, like as in, you can ignore some of the, like, the not ignore or, or change it too much, but like as in, you don't need to really, fo- that's not the focus of it. It's like, oh, how did they die? It's like, they that's not they the were point. gone anyway. Like that's as right. in, they, they were what, dealt with. Yep. So God's promise was, you know, fulfilled. That's like the he point. Promised that's it. the key point. And it happened. You got it. You got it, mate. Yep. Yeah, God promised it. I'm going to trust in that. that trust that in God's that. God's plan was to redeem his, yeah. rescue It's not like people. it didn't happen. He did. He did. It did happen. That's, yeah. absolutely, that's absolutely yeah. right. Yeah, and it was supernaturally. You know, the guy ended up going back home and losing his own life to his own kids who killed him. So he obviously wasn't even nice to them. No. So, yeah, so it's a, an amazing story of deliverance, but I think it's written in such a way that there's this taunt one way and then God almost, you know, smack talks him back again. Smack talks him back again. <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly. Right. Yeah. Excellent. All right, we're going to go on to 38 now. Yep, sounds good to me. Um, so uh, the next one we'll be going into is Isaiah uh, chapter 38. Um, this one is a bit different from 36 and uh, 37 uh, because, um, yeah, actually I'll just read this one too. Yeah. <laughs> um, where 
Yeah. Happens around the same time. We don't know whether it was just before or just after or just during, after. but it says about that time, yeah. About that time, yeah. Uh, in those days, Hezekiah became ill and uh, was at that point of death. Uh, the prophet Isaiah, son of Amos, went to him and said, this is what the Lord says, put your house in order because you are going to die and you will not recover. Like, that's just strange immediately. No, it is, isn't it? Like, because in the first thing, he's like, oh, don't worry, you know, no, it's just that you are going to die, put your house in order. Yeah, get yourself sorted out. Get yourself die. sorted. Like, as in, yeah. Um, and then later on it says, uh, Hezekiah turned his face to the wall. He prayed to the, to, uh, the Lord, remember, Lord, how you have walked before uh, how I have walked before you faithfully with a wholehearted devotion, uh, devotion and have done what is good in your eyes. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. Um, then the Lord, the God, came to Israel. Go and tell Hezekiah, this is what the Lord, the God... Came of to Isaiah. Father. Oh, yeah, Isaiah. Uh, this is... Uh, yeah, this is what the Lord, the God of your father, uh, David, says. I have added 15 years to your life and I will deliver you and this city from the hands of the king of Syria. I will defend this city. This is the Lord's sign to you that... The Lord would do what is promised. I will make the shadow cast by the sun go back, uh, the go back and Ahaz on the st- on the sundial. Go of back Ahaz. to oh, te- wait, whoops, I read that wrong. I will make the shadow cast by the sun go back the ten steps it has gone down on the stairway of Ahaz. Mm-hmm. So the sunlight went back ten steps it had gone down before. Um, uh, which one, which one was it? Uh, yeah, like as in, uh, I assumed um, like as in Jesus was like saying you're going to die and all this stuff to sort of humble, humble. But I mean, at that point when Hezekiah already, like I was wondering why, would you say it was God who specifically was like, I, you are going to die at this specific time? Like, Good why question. is that? It's well, so, why so would confusing. God say that? Why yeah. would God say that? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Because it starts that? with Isaiah going to him, doesn't it? It said he gave, he gave the king this message. This is what the Lord says. Set your affairs in order. Set your affairs yeah. in order. So it basically the he's got a Isaiah the prophet has a word that he believes is from God. Yeah. that says it's time to set your affairs in order. Make sure you got your you know your heritage in place. Make sure you got your king ready, your son ready to take over. Make sure everything's sorted because you're going to die. Um, it does seem like at face value God said that. If that's the case. Um, and I have no reason to assume it's not, then it does reinforce this whole thing of God partnering with humans. Hezekiah could have gone, okay, well, that's it. I'm going to be with the Lord. I trust that and I'll die. But there was something in Hezekiah that said, no, I want to live. I want to live. So he cried out to God and he said, Lord, give me more life. I, you know, I've served you faithfully. There's more in me yet. And it's almost like God's compassion. He goes, okay, I hear your prayer. Let's do it. And that that's... Um it was interesting because that's the very character, um, uh, what's it, Jesus had. Like as in sometimes he was like, oh, this is going to happen. But then the person would pray or ask. Yes. Um, like ask him. And it, what was it? One episode in The Chosen really depicted that well. It was when he was turning water into wine. Mm-hmm. Um, where it was like, oh, yeah, like as in I don't need, like as in I sh- it's not my time. It's not yes, my time that's yet. that's right. And then Mary goes up to him and is like, Please, please, and he please. goes, okay, and he goes, mom. okay, mom, yeah, and then exactly, does it like exactly. I'm like, yep. You see it too with Moses a lot, yeah. Where God says, when the when the when the Israelites in the desert are just constantly rebelling against God, and God says to Moses at least twice, God says to Moses, look, look, I'm not getting anywhere with this lot. Let me just bring judgment on them, and I'll start the whole project project again with I'll you, Moses. Again, yeah. And Moses goes, and then Moses does what what Hezekiah does. Mm. He cries out and he intercedes. He gets there and prays, and God goes, okay, then. I've got someone standing in the gap. 
I'll I'll repent. I'll I'll hold back on that. The word repent just means to change my mind. So mm. it's like God saying, okay, I was going to do that, but because I'm because I've got people who will pray, people who are stand in the gap, I'll move. And what this shows me is the power of our prayer. Sometimes you feel like your prayers aren't making any difference. These scriptures tell us that God is listening to our prayers and they can shift things. God will actually partner with us. And in the absence of someone willing to pray, a certain path will happen. But if some human being will stand in the gap and pray and intercede, the direction can change completely. But God would definitely look at Hezekiah's heart, wouldn't he? He was, Because yes. seeing, I don't know, would he do it even if Hezekiah was like selfishly wanted 15 years? I don't or think so. Self-esteem, what at any years? He doesn't say no, it doesn't, years exactly. No, it doesn't say. Well, no, he, doesn't, he doesn't say. No, yeah, God says you've got God says 15, 15 years, years left. Yes. Yeah. Which at that age is, in that kingdom is quite an substantial lifespan yeah. extension there. Um, no, I, I think the point of the story is that is, that Hezekiah isn't asking selfishly. He mm. he genuinely wants to lead his people. He's Like I said, he, in the last chapter we were talking about, he has turned his nation back to God again. And he's probably feeling like, I'm not done yet. There's more in me. Mm. I can make more difference. I can I can do more good here. And God says, okay, let's do it. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it's quite unusual. I'll, I'll read further on because this is why it's quite unusual. Um, uh, this is the Lord's sign to you, um, to you that the Lord will do what he has promised. I will make the shadow cast by the sun go back. Yeah. Ten steps it has gone down the stairway of Ahaz. Uh, so the sunlight went back 10 steps and it had gone down. Um, a writing of Hezekiah, king of Judah, after his illness and recovery. I said, in the prime of my life, must I go through the gates of death? So you've be... written this poem or yeah, this song. This poem. Yeah. Uh, and be robbed of the rest of my years, I said. I will not again see the Lord himself uh, in the land of the living. No longer will I look on my fellow man or be with those who now dwell uh, in this world. Like a shepherd... Uh, tent, no, like a shepherd's tent, my house has been pulled down and taken uh, from me. Like a weaver, I've rolled up my life, and he has cut me off from the loom. Day and night, you made me, made an end of me. I waited patiently till dawn, but like a lion, he broke all my bones. Day and night, you made an end of me. I cried like a, uh, like a swift or a thrush. I moaned like a morning dove. My eyes grew weak as I looked to the heavens. I am. Uh, bidding, no, I am being threatened, Lord, come to my aid. But what can I say? He has spoken to me and he himself has done this. I walk humbly all my years because of this anguish of my soul, Lord. By such things people live and my spirit finds life in them too. You restore me to health and let me live. Surely I, it was for my benefit that I suffered such anguish. In your love, you kept me from the pit of destruction you have put all my sins behind your back, for the grave cannot praise you. Death cannot sing your praise. Those who go down to the pit uh, cannot hope for your faithfulness. Um, the living, the living, they praise you. Um, as I am doing today, parents tell their children about your faithfulness. Um, just, oh, well, I'll read the end of it. The Lord will save me. Uh, he will sing me string instruments all the days of our lives in the temple of the Lord. Um, I was just wondering because I'm like every I think most people would be like oh thank goodness like if you're a Christian thank goodness oh um, I'm old now I'm gonna die I'm gonna be in heaven and all that sort of stuff so he's 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 basically you know in that time because this will lead on to a different thing I have to ask but you know wouldn't it be happy to sort of 
I don't know. And it sounds to weird. die. To die. I think. I think so. I think he's got a deep faith in God, and he. Yeah, because he yeah. just he just talks about it like it's the worst thing in the world. Yeah, like it's been robbed from me. It's like yeah. Ah, oh, like is in my goodness. Now I have to sleep in death, and I'm like, whoa, what's going? Yeah, on? I think be- I think it's worth saying that they had a a different understanding of death and heaven and the afterlife. Okay. Um, than yeah. we than Probably we what now I have. Understand. Yeah. So, in that era, and this is, you know, I was talking to your mum about how. Revelation grows, understanding of the Messiah and who he was and yeah. how it worked grows. A bit the same with the revelation of the afterlife. So at this point, they, I think most people had a revelation that there was uh, there was something after, but the Jewish prevailing Jewish thought was that um, they would kind of go into this place, Sheol, the place of the dead, and they would kind of be like, uh, they'd call them, sh- the word was translated shade, almost like spirits that were just kind of hovering, kind of all, almost semi-conscious Asleep, waiting, yeah. waiting for this final. Is it like a, a waiting room before? Almost, because they look to the cross. Yes, because like so, they technically yeah, like as in they don't have the Messiah yet. So, because yep. I was thinking, I was like, does that mean the only time, the only time like someone like at that point could be saved is this? They're like, I'm about to die, I'm about to die, sacrifice an animal quickly, and then they died, and then like, ah, oh, I get to go to heaven. Oh, I see. Yes. Yeah. Well, I was like, where yeah. did they go? Because technically, they're looking. Because they're still sinful, yeah, and that's the reason they're looking to Jesus. Yes, that's right. So they're looking. F- well, they're looking forward for God's deliverance and God's, God's salvation. Deliverance. That God would do something. So Hezekiah definitely had that. I mean, you wouldn't have been, if you had said to Hezekiah, "Tell me what you think of Jesus and his sacrifice." He'd go, "What?" You know, he wouldn't necessarily be able to piece it all together because it, he doesn't know that. He, you know, he's he has some understanding that the Messiah is going to come. He, Isaiah, who's he, who his prophet, is saying, "Look, there will be one who will come one day and." Bring deliverance, but he wouldn't have been able to articulate the whole thing, and that's okay. God works with that because okay. he had a revelation of trust in God. He knew that he couldn't save himself. He knew that he couldn't do anything of any good or bad without God. Um, so, I think back to your initial question: Was he looking forward to heaven, so to speak, or being with Jesus or being with God? I think to a point, yes. Yeah. Um, but I still think he had this awareness that um, he was on Earth for a purpose. And so, I figured it, so. And so he's, and he's, he says here in verse 10, in the prime of my life must I now enter the place of the dead. So he's got an awareness that there's more in me yet. God's got more for me to do. Is this really the time for me to go and leave this But earth? it's weird how he questioned, like, wouldn't God already know that? But he still was like, what are you doing? Like, I, I'm think, God, like, I think that shows us that God is willing to partner with us and that we have a, a, a high level of, um, agency over our lives that when we rely upon God and trust in Him, God will often allow our will, like Jesus said all the time, according to your faith, let it be done to you. Mm. We have been entrusted with an ability to shape our lives with the words we say, the things we think. So if He had gone, well, I'm ready to die, so be it, God probably would have gone, okay. <laughs> but, but, you know, He's He was able to go, no, there's more in me yet, in the prime of my life. Is this it? Is this really all there is? Surely there's more in me. God goes, okay, <laughs> it can have more life, you know? And mm. so he allowed that, th- that time. Yeah. I still find it very strange because I'm like, hey, wouldn't he be aware that maybe God could raise up someone else just as he dies then to, yeah. to carry on? Yeah, I don't know. Yep. But just, let's face it. Yep. I mean, you know, when my time comes, I've often wondered about will I be ready to go? You know, will, will I be able to go, well, Lord, that's it? Mm. You know, or will I go, there's more in me yet? You know, I've seen godly people in their 40s and 50s pass away over all my years of pastoral ministry. And 
they've been amazed with the faith that they and the trust that they allow themselves or, or experience during that time. But I often think to myself, as a pastor, I think I hope I've got their faith when the time comes. If I was mm. to, if I was to, you know, you know, you know, like him, he's got. We we get some sense of what's going on here. It's probably some kind of infection because it says right at the very end, Isaiah says to his servants, "Make an ointment of fig and put it over the boil." So. This is probably a normal illness that today would just be true. It's probably staph infection or something like that. It's something that would be just treated with antibiotics. Yep. There's no antibiotics back in, back in this period of time. And the way he's describing, he's hallucinating, he's delirious. Well, that's what happens with a really serious infection. So something has happened which has caused him to have some kind of infection in his body. And he's, you know, when you've been really sick with an infection, you just can't think straight. You, feel, you can hallucinate. No, in the middle yeah. of all this, somehow he's crying out to God. He's, he's got enough agency to cry out to God in the middle of his delirium. And then and the Lord heals him. And there's obviously something in this, I haven't looked into it, but something in this ointment of figs must have maybe fought off the infection or done something with this boil or whatever it was, this infection that he's got. But in the middle of all that, he is going, he could be going, Lord, I'm ready to die. Or he could be going, Lord, I'm not ready to die. And it seems like he's just going, I'm not done. In the middle of his delirium, he's going, God, there's, there's more. There's more for me. There's more for me. Please, Lord. And God heard him. So mm, I think I, I, th- I think I do like it. It's a bit more emotion than I thought there would be. Like yeah. As in, especially like as in, yeah, imagining him in that state and then, you know, it's the decision where he wants to either you know, continue living because yep. he's in his prime where he wants to just, you know, keep going. Yeah. Because he knows what he's left or, you know, finally just be like, all right, well, I'm, take I'm me. done. Yep. I'm done. Well, the Apostle Paul, you know, obviously he had a deeper understanding than Hezekiah did and oh, had yeah. seen the resident Jesus. But yeah, he, yeah. he says something similar. He says, I desire to go and be with Jesus by far. That'd be the best thing for me. But he said, but I need to stay here because you need me. He Mm. says, I think it's Philippians, I think he says, but I desire to stay here. As long as I need to stay here for you, I'll stay here. Then he says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. gain. And so it's this principle of, well, Lord, as long as you've given me, and I think this is what I'd like to get to in my life is I'd like to think I don't go towards death with fear. I'm ready to embrace death when death comes. But my attitude as a Christian wants and as a pastor wants to be, well, Lord, as long as I've got breath in my lungs, I'm going to live for the gain of others. I want mm-hmm. my life to count for something, you know? Mm. I think speaking to you young people, I think that's what young people want today. They, <laughs> Most young people want their lives, deep down inside, they want their lives to count for something bigger than themselves. Oh, yeah. Like, uh, that's 100% true. Yeah. I find myself when I have free time now, like, only this year I've been as, as busy as I have, but, like, when I do have free time, I actually am scared to have free time because I'm like, well, I'm not doing anything. Ah, right. I'm not doing anything substantial. Like, as in, I need to... It's no longer... It's not the... I'm so disappointed when I do little punches. I want to do big punches, yeah. but then you need to do little punches to finally do a Spoken big like a Gen Z. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like Yeah, and you you'll probably I think what'll happen in time is that your generation will get to the point where they don't they, they'll have to pull back a bit because you are going 110% for doing 110%, something. 110%. But you yeah. need to go, no, we're called to go 100%, not 110. You know, you need rest, you need to come, you need to take time out and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. But it's but that and that's a healthy part of it. Even when you're taking rest and slowing down, you're not doing it for selfish reasons. You're doing it because you're in a marathon, not a sprint, and you recognise, well, if I'm gonna if I'm gonna live another forty or fifty or sixty years of Christian life as mm. a, in ministry, I want to make sure that that um, my life counts, that I'm in this for the long haul. Long haul, yeah. Yeah. So I, that's what I love about your generation is that by and large there is a passion to make it, to live for a cause bigger than yourself, and I think that's what Hezekiah is saying. Mm. Um, and he he cries out to God and says, "I'm not finished." 
And so as long as there's breath in my legs, that's what my attitude I want to have is, Lord, I, I want to keep serving you. And what a powerful Christian. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. To like, make a difference. Like I want to make a difference. Yeah. Right, you've given me this lot yeah. and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get it all the way through. Yeah, that's right. I'm going to live every moment I can to bring honor to you, Lord. Yeah. I really yeah. Like and that. so as I, and Hezekiah gets another 15 years to do that. Yeah. Like it's incredible. Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah. All right. Well, that's the end of Isaiah. Where are we going to go to now? Um, next up is uh, Hosea. Hosea chapter one. Yeah. Hosea chapter one, which is pretty awesome. Um, so next up, we'll be doing uh, Hosea, uh, just chapter one. So the first bit of Hosea, this is so much uh, different uh, than Isaiah. Um, yeah, it's a pretty special sort of chapter and very special book. Mm, he's actually um, a contemporary of Isaiah, written at the same time. It mm, actually says it in the first verse. It does. It really mm. does. Yeah. Same and, kings were in reign, in power. Yeah. Um, it says, uh, the word of the Lord that came to Isaiah, son of uh, Beri, uh, during the reign of the reigns of uh, Uzra, Uz- Uzziah, Uzziah, uh, uh, Joatham, um, as as Ahaz, Ahaz. Ahaz. <laughs> and then Hezekiah. There he is, uh, kings of Judah, and during the reign of uh, Jeroboam, son of Jehosh, Jehosh, yeah. Jehosh, Jehosh. Thank you, king of Israel. Um, yeah, like just straight off says it like is in, in the same time. Yeah. So, yeah. So this is a time when by and large up until Hezekiah, they had, they had been, they'd sort of turned their back. I think when I said before, Uzziah was his great grandfather. He was pretty good. I'm pretty sure Jotham and Ahaz, his grandfather and father were the wicked ones. I love just going through all of that time and just seeing the wishy-washiness. There's thing, like, wishy-washiness. Like yes. as in, it's oh, good. it goes down, it goes down. Oh, wait, there was a oh, good thing. Oh, wait, no, no, exactly. no, 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 Oh, wait, there's, oh, never mind. <laughs> it's exactly what it's like. <laughs> just it, it, Every time you get a glimmer of hope, then yeah, it comes crashing down, down again. <laughs> so, yeah, so there's a lot of talk about the people that turn their back on God. And yeah. this is Isaiah's prophesying at the same time. And so is Hosea. And Hosea is going to act out some prophecy here, which is really a picture of of God's God's love for his people. I mean, yeah. In the little break in between it's those last of, two chapters, your mum was listening in. Oh, she yeah. said, where's the love in that last one? We, we were saying actually it's really about God's faithfulness, but yeah. we're going to see God's love for his people in a really strange story. Aren't in we? a very strange yeah. story. So take it away. All right. Um, when the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, Go, marry a promiscuous woman and have children with her. For like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. So he married Gomer, daughter of um, Debellum, yep, and she conceived and bore him a son. Then the Lord said to Hosea, Call him Jezre- uh, yeah, Jezreel, because I will soon punish the house of Jehu for the massacre of Jezreel and I will put an end to the kingdom of Israel. On the day I will break oh no, on yeah uh, yeah on the day I will break Israel's bow in the valley of Jezreel. Um, Gomer conceived again and gave birth to a daughter. Uh, then the Lord said to Hosea, "Call her Lo Rum which means something very not nice, which means not loved. Mm. Yeah, um, for I will no, I will no longer show love to Israel, that I should uh, at all forgive them. Yet I will show love to Judah, and I will save them, not by bow, sword, or battle, or by horses and horsemen, but I, the Lord their God, will save them." After she had weaned Lorumea, Gomer had another son, 
then the Lord said, call him Lo-Ami. Lo-Ami? Yeah. Which means not my people, for you are not my people and I am not your God. Yet the Israelites will be like the sand on the seashore, which cannot be measured or counted. In the place where it is said to them, you are not my people, they will be called children of the living God. The people of Judah and the people of Israel will come together and they will adopt one leader and will come out of the land for great will be the day of Jezreel. So that one's pretty crazy. Let's see if I... So, yeah. Um, like this one's pretty crazy that he would even do this. Like, yes. Like is in that God would even extr- in, like, instruct him to do this. Like because mm. like when... Because before he like tells you don't... Don't marry like promiscuous. Women. Yes. Don't do this. Yeah. And then now he's specifically asking, "Oh, has it just go marry this promiscuous?" Like, mm. I'm like, why? Why would he do that? Is it just to tell us now? Like, is in why would he do that to this man? Like, it's pretty crazy that God saw like the this part being written in. Yes. You know, he was going to put this in. Yeah. Blueberry, but it I feel this is specifically written for us. It's like, r- well, it's written for them and for us. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, it, it's it was just, written for them too. I mean, I know it just doesn't yeah. sound. It's just it crazy. Does, it sounds strange that it God would say so go and marry a prostitute. Go marry yeah, a, go marry a, a promiscuous woman. Promiscuous um, woman. You know when you know that was the opposite of what you would expect a godly person or godly man to do. It was discouraged, not encouraged. And mm. yet in this situation, it seems to be encouraged. So that that's one of those wait what moments. Like you should be reading that, and it should confront you, like it did. Yeah. So full marks for you for allowing it to confront you and going. This doesn't make sense. Wait what? Yeah. Like this is the opposite of what I'm expecting. Yeah. And then he goes on. Um, one of the names is like so crazy. Yeah. Love like the, not my people are not are not, not loved. loved. Yeah. Exactly. Why would you Why would you want to be called yeah, not loved? Exactly. Why the poor child? You know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you go around saying, "What's your name? Not loved. Not loved. I'm not loved. <laughs> I mean, that child's going to have some trauma to live yeah, with. That's what I'm thinking. I'm up. like, whoa, yeah, look, that's totally. got to go here. So there's something more going on. So when you get yeah. these wait what moments, you've yeah. got to you've got to acknowledge that and dig in a little bit more. So what you'll find is that a lot of these prophets, uh, the way that they would actually deliver, not all of them, but a lot of these prophets were almost like street theatre. Ezekiel was one of those. So you know when you go down in the middle of, you know, in the middle of um, George Street in the city and you've got, you know, street acts and performing acts. That's mm. often how it was. These prophets would stand in the marketplace and they would act stuff out. They would do things, like at one point Ezekiel lays on his side and cooks his meals and lays it on one side for three <laughs> yeah, for a year and then yeah, yeah. drops over the other side for another 40 days or something, <laughs> back and forward. That's strange. It's that weird. It's, it's weird, but it's street theatre. So to them yep. it was it was kind of the way that they understood the prophetic message to be given. Hmm. So what he is doing here is vividly acting out a prophecy in a way that would catch capture their attention. It was supposed to be so different to what they thought that the acting out of it would catch their attention. So Jesus would often tell a parable to catch their people's attention and then he'd catch them. I talked about it with your mum on the previous episode, you know, how, um, you know, God would give them a story, get their attention and then say, oh, by the way, that's you. You're that, you're that, you think you're, you know, you think you're, you're all well and good. You're actually the wicked. Oh, he loves doing that. He does that. And that's what's happening here. It was so weird that a prophet would marry a prostitute. That's so jarring. People instantly (coughs) catch people's attention. People would go, what? And then he was able to say, well, and same, God has married you. You, you prostitute Israel because you said, and, and the story will go on, Hosea, where, where Hosea's wife is unfaithful to him. She, she runs, she, after she marries him, she runs back to the streets again and starts prostituting yeah, herself. Yeah, uh, that's straight up in the next Straight one, up in the it? next, yeah. So then um, God goes, 
and God says to Hosea, go back and get her again. You know, and that's and what he's trying to do is he's trying to get this picture of what it what it's like for God. God married us. He he called us aside, but we keep wandering away. But God's love compels him to keep reaching out mm. to us, even though we prostitute mm. ourselves constantly, time and time again. Yeah, and, and Israel has been pretty much yeah. Israel has been a prostitute for ages. Yes, they because this, this much is a prophecy beginning. to the northern kingdom. Mm. So Israel had by this point, Israel had well and truly split into two kingdoms: Israel and Judah. Yeah, and for the most part. Israel were completely against God. There's one glimmer of hope. They mentioned the guy, King Jehu, one little glimmer of hope where he just, he might be half good. Most of them are just wicked as in the king, the kings of, of Israel. And that's why God's saying, look, I've been sending prophets to you constantly, but you won't listen. So you're not loved anymore. It's, it's a prophetic way of saying, that's it, I'm done. Mm. But even in that not loving, you need to see it. Don't, doesn't mean that God doesn't love. It's his actions of love. Like, you know, um, he says, I, I'm done with trying to reach out to you. You're just going to, I'm just going to let you go. Do your own thing. But even in the middle of that, he still, at the end of this chapter, he still promises, but there'll come a day when I'm going to put Israel and Judah back together again. The people of Judah and Israel will unite together, it says. They will choose one leader for themselves and they'll return from exile. So even though God is saying, I'm done, he's not really done. No. He's still got a future plan. So that's the love of God that even though we keep messing up, mm. even though we are faithless, God is faithful because of his love. And the story is definitely very personal as well. Like as in, um, it's pretty jarring as well, obviously, with the adulterous wife and stuff like that. Because in, I don't know, I feel like beforehand you're like, yeah, you don't want to you know, sort of mess with that. No. Um, but to see as a whole people have been pretty much what it's like to be an adulterous woman. Yes. Like the whole... The whole nation. The whole nation has yeah. been that. And Jesus is not saying, oh, I'm, I purposely, like as in, I married this woman. I've, you know, I'm in this relationship with that's you. It. So I will bring you back. Yeah. Like as in, that's pretty powerful. That is. Even though you've continually gone off crazy, a ride, yeah. I still will bring you back. Done everything bad. Just, yeah. just keeps on slamming it. Yeah. I was just like, I will bring you back to me. Yeah. Like that's pretty powerful. And that's why I chose, would have chosen, chosen this chapter. Because in one sense it says not loved, but the chapter and the promise at the end shows that God never stops loving. Loving. Even though we're faithless, he still keeps loving and he still keeps promising that he will reach out and he will restore. Mm. And, you know, I've plenty of times where I've made poor choices in my life, but God has been faithful. Mm. You know, he, he just keeps reaching out saying, come on, have another go. Get back on the horse. Keep trusting in me. Yeah. That's, not, that's obviously like everything everyone can relate. At one point they've been adulterous to God. Yes, that's way. right. Yeah, totally. Yeah, like especially, and I'm thinking like, God, why do you even bother? Why do you even bother? And he's like, why bother? I love you. Because I love you. That's it. Yeah. And you know, the 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 Jesus story we're talking about this Christmas is that it's it's ultimate demonstration for God so loved the world that he gave his mm. only son. Despite the fact that the world, all of us, continually prostitute ourselves all the rebel, time. But God yeah. so loves the world that he continues to give us his son. Mm. Yeah. That's the Hosea is a good read, you know, it's it's worth reading that whole book in its entirety. It's you know, it's a longish one of the the uh, minor prophets, twelve chapters, which is up there with the longer ones, but it's a it's a good read at a time yeah. where it shows God's faithfulness and His love despite the fact that uh, we're faithless. Yeah, it's a yeah, it's a very powerful one. I really liked Hosea. Well, actually, let's just look at this chapter two, okay. verse one. Actually, re, re, I should really put that with the rest of chapter one. It says, "In that day, you will call your brothers Ami, my people, 
and you will call your sisters Ruhuma, the ones I love. So there's coming a day when he will reverse what he said. You are not my people. Lo Ramaha, Ro, Lo Ami. He's going, there'll come a time when you will be Rahama, loved. You will be Ami, my people. So this is that restitution and reconciliation. The love of God steps forward to always bring us back into relationship with him. I love it. Yeah. All right, that's Hosea 2. We've got one more. I think it's Psalm 19. So next up in, I think it's the last one in the Old Testament, um, Psalm 19. Um, I, I got like a, a specific one, a specific, like a few verses from this mm-hmm. um, that I was like, hmm, uh, I really like them. Um, obviously, as we read it, we'll come up to it. Sure. Um, but yeah, this one, I think I have, I think the least amount to say on this one. Okay. Um, yeah, I think I'm just mainly very encouraged by Psalm 19, if anything. Okay, great. Yeah. That's what Psalms should be doing. They should yeah. give us some sense of encouragement, encouragement. or faith or hope. Yep. Yeah, exactly. So like as in with every other Psalm, um, yeah, I'll just give it a read. Um, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. It is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are upright. Oh no, are right, uh, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, uh, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By them your servant is warned. In keeping them there is great reward. But who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from your willful sins. Uh, May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Mm. Yep. Um, I really, I really did like the, I think it's 12, 12 and 13, but who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. Uh, may they not rule over me when I, when I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. Um, yeah, like especially the discerning, like, but who can discern their own errors? Who can discern their own errors? Cause like, I, I feel like, um, many times, we can just like sort of be not even know why we're doing something. We've got blind spots. We just don't, blind spots. Yes, that's right. Yeah, straight up yep. blind spots. And we're just like, I don't know. I don't yeah. know why this happened. So I like it's like I forgive my hidden faults. Forgive yeah, my it's like faults. this awareness that, you know, even when I think I'm doing the right thing, I can still be missing it. Mm, like as in I have many times where I'm like, I'm going, I'm going good. I'm going good. And then just out of nowhere, sin just takes control. Yep. Everything falls into place. Your sinful nature just, and then you just boom, instantly you're like, what just happened, Lord? Yeah. Like, 
I don't know just what just happened. Like I just like sinned against you out of nowhere. I was mm. going all good and then boom, I just yeah. sinned. How did that happen? Yeah. yeah. So I think this is an encouragement to keep short accounts with God. I mean, he, he seems, the psalmist seems to be saying here, David seems to be saying, you know, I don't know what's inside my heart, Lord. So keep my heart pure. I want keep to stay connected pure. to yeah. you. Would you reveal to me what's really going on mm. inside my heart? Because you know me better than I know myself. Exactly. Yeah. And yeah. I think that's, it's that humility that God can go, okay, well, I can do that. You're open to it because there's a there's an openness in a prayer like that, isn't there? It's not saying, it's un- unlike when we were talking about, you know, the king of Assyria going, oh, I did this and I did that and I'm cool and I'm brilliant and I'm strong and I'm powerful. This is a, this is a king who's going, this isn't about me. You know, even when I'm on my best days, mm. I still don't know whether I'm 100% right. So I trust you, Lord, reveal to me what's going on inside my heart. It might feel like I'm doing great right now, but I don't, I don't want to get to that point where I'm trusting in my own abilities. Mm. So he keeps a humility about Keep him. Keep a humility, yeah. Um, and, yeah, keeps your servant also from willful sins. Yeah, so there's a deliberate sin. Deliberance. Keep me away from that. Willful sins. But also the, the, innocent, the, also the stuff I might not be aware of. Yeah, exactly. Like the ones you might not be aware of. Um, that they may not rule over me, then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. Mm, yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. Um, may these words of my mouth in this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock, my redeemer. Yeah. I love verse 14 there because it's just that constant. I pray that all the time. Lord, everything I do today, things that my mind dwells on, the things my heart meditates on, Lord, I pray, pray that, you know, they'll be pleasing to you. Remind mm. me where I'm going astray. Remind me where I'm getting selfish. Remind me where I'm trying to please myself. I, I want my life to to matter today. I want mm. my life to count for you. That has been such, I think, such a big, important prayer for like, for me. And I think for, I don't know, it would be for countless of Christians like in, that's very much surrendering everything. Yes. I used to very much pray for like, it's like, I wouldn't say selfish things, but like, oh, you know. Today, your shopping list? Shopping list. Yes. Like you have your shopping yeah. list out yeah. and like praying like, Lord, your will be done. Yeah. Like your kingdom come. All that sort of yeah. like the, the that's, Lord's That's right. That's not, like, all, that's not all bad. Yeah. But there's a, there's a sense in which this is a surrender over and above that that's that's actually, Lord, I want my life to reflect you too. Reflect you. But I used to be like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course it's going to reflect you. Anyway, hey, Lord, yeah, here's exactly. my shopping list. So like, yeah. you know, yeah. So this is a good prayer. You know, it's only six, what, 14 verses. It's yeah, you know, 14. not very long. But it's a good prayer to just uh, take to heart and be able to just meditate on, even if you do that once a week and just say, Lord, change it from today to this week. Lord, make this count. Mm, and my life like this. Even like pretty, like, I don't, wouldn't be surprised if this was a worship song. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The heavens, like uh, in the first little bit, the yeah. heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech, night after night. It's like also being, in a way, it can be thankful. Yes, it's like, how, in a, he's obviously got an awareness of the heavens. He sees the sun tracking yeah. the heavens. He sees, he sees the stars. He sees consistency and order. And he's thinking, God settle that up. God mm. is there in the heavens. He set the start sun in place. And it's like, God, every morning I wake up, the sun was over there, then it went to bed over there, and then it's back over there again. It's like, God, you set that up. You're faithful. If you can bring the sun up every day, you're true to your word. And then from up, out of that revelation, it's like he gets the revelation of that, and he's pondering that. Isn't it amazing? Because you've got to think these guys don't have modern-day science. Not They're not all. thinking the globe. Mm. They're not thinking we're a ball of, ball of rock floating around a a ball of, of gas. They don't. They're not thinking any of that. They're thinking the gods live in the, raw, the realm up there, and they're just seeing this consistency and this faithfulness of the sun going overhead every day. And they're thinking, "Wow, you know what?" And he's probably going, 
God's done all that. God's faithful. I can trust him that he'll be faithful yeah, with my life. Yeah, the sun rises on the righteous and unrighteous. That's right. And yeah. so he then moves from, there's a definite shift from those first six verses being about the heavens to then going, now, just like it says, just like the sun is faithful and perfect, it says the instructions of the Lord are perfect too. If God can put that sun in the sky, he, I can trust his word that it'll be consistent. Mm. That's the um, That's the pattern of thought we're seeing in this psalm as he's writing it. Yeah, I couldn't even imagine how incredible. Like, his, I guess all the all, every sort of science is like made. I don't know. Like, you can still. I very much appreciate. I think this world very much a lot more now. Yeah. Um, but even then, it would have just been like everything would have been miraculous. Oh, totally. Like just observing everything, you wouldn't know anything how anything works. No. Just like maybe a little bit, but yep. just pretty much nothing. No, and no, it all no concept of how this. But those stars up there, they didn't think of them as balls of gas. No, not at all. Not at all. So, so they got a different worldview to us. Um, and, you know, we, we, we have the benefit of all the scientific acknowledgement mm. now. But actually that pushes me more to the wonder of God because now the universe is far bigger now than what they thought it would possibly be. Bigger and really complex. And really complex. Really, That's right. Really so it pushes complex. me more. So when, I, when it says the heavens proclaim the glory of God, I can go, they sure do. You're so right. <laughs> yeah, like, exactly. my goodness. Yeah. Exactly. It's a great little psalm, that one. I do. I really like this psalm. All right. So is, that's it for the Old Testament, is it? Anything else you wanted to add there? Um, no, nothing else. But the New Testament, I do have a little bit Okay. More. We'll yeah. head to the New Testament. So um, we're now moving into the New Testament. Um <laughs> Coming right to the right end, of the, to the end of the New Testament. We're yeah. going to go actually do the in a minute. We're going to go and do the beginning of the New Testament, but right now we're going to do the old, the last crazy. book of the New I'm Testament. I'm so happy that I get to do like the end, end of the, the end, like, end. The, yes, there's the no end, more end, end than this, this chapter. Yeah, this is the end, end. Yeah. So uh, with this one, I think I have, I think the most to say. All right. Um, yeah. I'll keep my mouth shut until you. I'll just let you. Oh, you got a few notes on that. Let's I see do, how we I've go. Got, I have a few notes in this one. All right. Take um, us away. Uh, so. I'll read it starting off. Uh, then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God um, of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, um, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. So I just assume this is this is counted as like the twelve tribes and stuff like that as well, or is it just counted as generally all nations or a bit of both? Um, there's a lot of metaphorical language. There's in a this lot one. of metaphorical. Yeah, so all I don't the way know. through. Um, so I think in this case, it's all nations coming, all, all people. There are other times when it talks about the twelve tribes, talking about Israel, but in this case, it, it clearly says there the heal the, the this tree of life is for the healing of. All people, all, all nations. nations. Yep. Yeah, yeah. I was just because it said twelve, and I'm like, they need, you know, I know twelve is a very significant it's number. It's a number of governance. Number of governance. Number of yeah. governance in yeah. the Bible or yeah. authority. Yeah. Or authority. Yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. Um, uh, and the leaves of the tree for the healing of the nations. Uh, no longer will I be uh, any. No longer there will be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and His servants um, will serve Him. They will see his face and his name will uh, will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. Um, they will not need the light of the lamb or the light of the sun for the Lord. Um, God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. Now, that one's a bit, I don't know, a bit strange again because uh, Revelation's full of this, like, I don't know, lots of metaphors. Yep. 
<laughs> so I'd, I'm still struggling. Like, obviously, I don't think you want to take it literally. But uh, even before that, look, I'm dipping into Revelation 21. Uh, it says something about, uh, where is it? Then I saw the new heaven and the earth for the first time and the first earth was passed away and there was no longer any sea. Just straight up says that there was yep. no longer any sea. I'm like, what's happening? What's the point? He's removed the night. He's removed the like sun. The He's removing the sea. I'm like, what's going on? Like, <laughs> exactly. How is he reversing everything that he created in the beginning? Yeah. What's going so on? So is, is, it, is it literal or is there, is it is literal? there metaphorical <laughs> is it language metaphoric? going on I assume here? It's a... It's, it's, look, the scholars will argue about this. There'll be yeah, some who will die it's... hard and say it's literal. <laughs> yeah. I probably used to think it was literal. I'm much more comfortable now with the book of Revelation being very metaphorical. And each one of these references to something that's confusing will often go back into the New Testament. So let's just into the Old Testament. Let's just do a couple of quick ones. Okay. You mentioned Revelation 21, no more sea. No more sea. Okay. That's a direct li- link back to Genesis 1 where the sea, the oceans were chaotic. Mm. The spirit of the Lord was hovering over the deep, over the oceans. And in those days, the oceans were seen as a place you didn't, you couldn't tame the oceans. I mean, they didn't have cruise liners that would go on ships. You went out. Or submarines. Or submarines. You went out on the, on the water, on the ocean at your own peril. You know, and it was an untamable mm. place, and so it's it's a place of chaos. It's a place it sort of it's set up as the opposite of God's kingdom. It's a place where there's disorder reigning, and so when it says in the New Testament, when God's kingdom comes, there'll be no more sea, it doesn't mean there's not going to be any ocean. It means there'll be no more chaos. Mm. It's a place of complete order. God will bring order to all the chaos. Because I quite like going to the beach and having a coffee. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I quite like, you know, I quite like to go, I'm going to cruise in a few weeks. I quite like the fact that yeah. I can go and enjoy the oceans. So I don't think that's what it's taking. It's talking a, metaphorically. Yeah, a lot of, uh, especially, like, I don't know, just some people like read the end of it and they're just like, oh, and then it said this, you know, like the, they're getting rid of the sea or they're getting yeah, rid, getting of, rid this. of the sun. I'm like, and, like yeah. well, it kind of makes no sense. Like why yeah. would God, like he, when he created the word, he said it was it was good. Yes, that's like right. Why would he completely? Why would he just be like, it? no, I don't want that. No, don't want that. That's don't right. Want that. That's yep. not the point. I'm okay. trying to make. So you, you need to get this reference. So when he's talking about the sun, whether it's, I think what it's saying, whether it's metaphorical or not, it's trying to say, people look to the sun for light, but I will be the source of light in your hearts. Mm. When I'm when I'm ruling in the city, you know, my brightness, my light will be so bright compared to the sun. Mm. It'll make the sun, sun seem as though it's dark. No, it's dark. And I think that's the picture that we try to get out of it metaphorically. It's a picture of restoration of the way it was always supposed to be, where God's kingdom would reign on the earth. Mm. And uh, again, when he says, uh, what's it, there will be no more night. It's just strange he wouldn't use like work. When saying night there, he obviously doesn't mean actual night again. So night this is all chaos language again. So there, was, there are again. three main chaotic, well, the three main metaphors in the Old Testament in the in the early chapters of Genesis that refer to this decreation. Actually, I'm state. not landing on something you've already spoken. No, about. no, I don't, think, I don't think I've actually have spoken about this. Okay, um, this is all stuff that I've learned from Tim Mackey from the Bible Project. Okay, so, good. So um, there's three main metaphors that were used: the, the ocean, as I said, mm-hmm. the desert. Because why? Because humans can't really survive in the desert. You know, there's no water source. It's not the place where you're going to pitch your home if you don't have to. No. And the last one was darkness. Um, so darkness is the opposite of light. Darkness is where evil seems, you know, they're understanding that bad things happen in the darkness and so on. So those three, sun, ocean, and um, and um, you know, and darkness are the three there. And, and what we're seeing here. He's kind of, we've talked about, you know, the, the sun. We're not, I don't think there's probably a reference to the desert here, but there's definitely a res- reference to there's no more night, meaning, you know, bad things aren't going to happen. It's going to be a place where the light of God will shine. So whether or not it literally means 
there's no night. I don't think that's the point. <laughs> yeah. I don't think that's the point. Okay, yeah. Um, to do that, no sort of sense well, to, to do that, you'd yeah. have to stop the earth spinning. Yep. Wouldn't you? Basically, I mean, that's the only way it's going to work. You'd just be changing everything. It, it would compl- and I'm not saying God can't do that. He couldn't just plonk the earth there and it's always facing the sun. But then what about people on, living on the other side of the planet? They're always going to be a perpetual darkness. Yep. You know, so I don't think that's what it's talking about. I think it's more the metaphor of that God will bring restoration and his kingdom's plan will come to will come to fruition on the earth. Come to fruition. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, it's interesting how that, like a lot of that is from just, you know, the beginning, like this is the end end. And this, this is, is the end. Oh, this, this and passage in Revelation 22 is going all the way back to Genesis. Going back to Genesis. It even mentions the tree of life, which is in Genesis 2. Yeah. Like it's pretty awesome. Yeah, totally. All right. Um, I'll keep going. Um, the angel said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. The Lord, um, the God who inspires and uh, inspires the prophets sent his angel to show his servants and things that must soon take place. Look, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one that keeps the words of the prophecy written in this scroll. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I had heard and um, seen them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the Andrew who had been showing them to me. But he said to me, don't do that. I'm a f- I am a fellow servant with you. And with your fellow prophets, and with all who keep the what was it, and all who keep the words of the scroll and worship God, it's interesting that John just started like basically going like, oh, oh he's angel. overwhelmed. Like yeah. it's just, I, I, it makes sense because like, well, these are powerful beings. Powerful beings. I mean, most often in the Bible, the first words out of an angel's mouth is, "Don't be afraid." Don't be afraid. <laughs> that's pretty because that's what they are. And he's like in this moment, yeah. it's completely it's just, like, yeah, it's just overwhelmed by all of this, this yeah. picture that he's seeing, this vision he's seeing. But the angel says, "No, no, no, I'm just a fellow servant." Yeah. Worship the Lord. But it's interesting that there was even added. I was wondering, oh, is it just to depict that he was overwhelmed or to say, no, it's not me, but God who deserves the glory? Like, I what's, think it's – What's going on there? Uh, why did John say that? Yeah, like why Why was that added and why did like why did that whole event be recorded? Uh, I think – well, it shows a humility on John's part because, it, I mean, John's get, basically getting rebuked by the angel. Yeah, and exactly. If I was John, like, I'd feel like saying, I'll just leave that bit out, you know. Oh, they're going to think, <laughs> John, why are you worshipping an angel? <laughs> Yes, you know, you're 90 years old now. You're not, yeah. And I think that shows his humility to yeah. go that even with my advanced state of under Christian, he's been a Christian since he's followed, the, he was probably a young teenage boy when he's following Jesus around, the youngest of all the disciples. He's probably 90 years old now. Mm. He's He's been walking with the Lord for the better part of 80 years and he's still <laughs> figuring it out, you know, yeah. and he's happy to say that. He's going, oh, when this happened, I was just so overwhelmed. I bent down to worship and the angel said, don't worship me. Don't worship me. So he's using it to teach us not to worship angels. Yeah. Okay. That's pretty straightforward. Yeah. All right. Um, Then he told me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy on this scroll because the time is near. Uh, Let the one who does wrong continue to do wrong. Let the vile person continue to be vile. Um, And let the one who does right continue to do right. And let the holy person continue to be holy. Is this... Um, basically, because this is like the final, is this like the predestinations? With, does this have any relation to predestination um, at all? Because uh, it's like the final judgment. This is it. You've chosen your path. This is like, uh, you will continue yeah, to be it. this way. You have, like, this is your predestination. Could be. I don't, I don't read it that way. I'd have okay. to do some more research into that. All right. I think it's probably, you're probably overthinking it. Am I overthinking it? I think so. I'm not, I'm not sure. I mean, I'm not going to okay. say I don't. You wouldn't be alone in thinking that. I'm sure right. some people who are pro-Calvinist would say that. I think it's just his way of saying at the end of it all, look, in the end, this is everything that I've shown you is going to come to pass. The kingdom of God will mm-hmm. reign upon the earth. Okay. In the meantime, go about your business. 
If those that want to just keep living against God, fighting against God, well, they're just going to do it. In the end, it's all going to come out in the wash. It's going to come out. And those that are living right, just keep living faithfully. Because you've got to remember, Revelation was written for the purpose of not predicting the end times in the end and the date of the coming of Jesus. Which everyone's trying to do. Which is what everyone's trying to do. (laughs) It It was actually written to the people of first century Roman Empire who were under persecution, the church that was being persecuted at the hands of the Romans, and they were, um, you know, living, they were doing it tough. Mm. And it was written to encourage them to say, look, you know, the Romans are going to keep coming at you. Things are looking desperate, but in the end, I win. In the end, I win. In the end, in the end we win. We're on Jesus' side and he will conquer and the victory will come. So just keep being faithful. Mm. It's written at, with that sense of encouragement. Okay, all right. Um, and this, is the, this is what I'm going to do next year. We're going to spend some time in the book of Revelation next year because as I've studied it more, and I've studied it multiple times from the whole left behind view over the years, but I've come around now to realize that most people are afraid of the book of Revelation because they think it's all about, you know, wars and battles and end times and demons and locusts and all kinds of stuff. It wasn't written for all that. It was yep. written to that be a sense of encouragement. That's the, yeah. <laughs> but it was written to encourage people who were doing it tough to say, stay the course. God's plan will come to pass. Hmm. That's what it's written for. So I want to read it back through that lens and see how did it apply to the first century Christians and then how does it apply to us? How does it apply to us? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And you see that in this, it's just keep going. Mm, yeah, I guess yeah, I, a lot of people would forget that because they're just like, oh, it just seems like a lot of prophecy sort of stuff. It and does. Like how, how like, what, what does that even matter to them and now to us? I'm like, oh, what's happening? Well, that's right. I mean, this is the problem. It's rather oh. arrogant of us to think that it suddenly applies to us. It's like, well, no, the whole book wasn't written to them. No. No, it was written for them. It's written for them. I've said this multiple times on this podcast uh, um, that, um, you know, uh, the Bible was written for us, not to us. Not to us. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, exactly. The Bible was written for us, yeah. not to us. I guess we can sometimes get, yeah, because uh, especially, what are some verses that would sort of change our minds to thinking, oh, it must be for us? Um, sometimes I think Psalms, Proverbs, and Lamentations, maybe the wisdom literature. I'm yeah, wisdom sure. literature. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Like uh, some of those, because they're like, oh, you know, they seem very personal. Yep. And then people, I think it's easy for to latch onto that and be like, oh. It's very much written for just me every day. Yeah, exactly. You know, because it's very general and it's just like, you know, I'm pouring my heart out. Yeah. All that sort of stuff. We should be able to take any part of scripture and have God speak to us from it. From it. But we do that via, first of all, going, God, what were you trying to say to the people that you were saying then? Then. And therefore, how does my life similar to their life? Mm -hmm. Therefore, what can I learn from what you were saying to them? What you were learning to say. Yeah, what you were saying to them. Now, as I know what they were, how they were facing the challenges they were facing, I go, okay, I can face those same challenges. Now, how does it apply to me? The same way it applied to them. Mm. When we start thinking it applies to us in ways that it didn't apply to them, that's when we get ourselves on shaky ground, which is what a lot of people do with the revelation. They suddenly think, oh, it's, uh, it's all applying to my time, my era. No, no, it's not meant to be. Mm. Not exclusively. Not exclusively. Yeah. Okay. All right, I'll keep on reading. Yep. Uh, look, I'm coming soon. My reward is with me and I will uh, give to each person according to what they have done. I am the Alpha, the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Uh, blessed are those who wash their robes that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. Outside are the dogs, those who practice um, magic arts, the sexual, uh, sexually immoral, um, the murderers, idolaters, and everyone who does, uh, who, who loves uh, practicing falsehood. Um, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the church. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come, and let the one who hears say, come, let the one who is thirsty come. 
and let the one who wishes to take the tree, the free gift of the water of life. I warn anyone, no, I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this scroll. If anyone adds anything to them, God will add to that person and the plagues described in this scroll. And if anyone, if anyone takes words away from this scroll of prophecy, God will take away from that person the share in the tree of life in the holy city, which are described in this scroll. He who testifies in these things says, yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. And then the final verse, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. Mm. Mm. Um, which is just interesting to finish off that, the grace of the Lord Jesus be and God's people. But before that, when um, it says in 18, this is probably, this doesn't relate to anything. This is just probably just me asking it. But has anyone actually even tried or attempted to change like revelation? Because this is a pretty, pretty big warning. Mm. Um, again, does it mean anything physically like crazy will happen if a person attempts to change like the scrolls? That revelation uh, it's a really scroll. good question. <laughs> like, uh, I don't know what he's actually meant by that. Obviously, it's not too relevant, but like, oh no, it's a valid question. I guess, well, what does it really know. mean? I mean, because it's, it's a valid, it's a pretty strong judgment. It is a pretty strong so you judgment. probably should want to know. Well, what does yeah, it mean? What does that mean? So I guess I've always thought that it meant, um, you know, don't try and um, speculate beyond what is written in the book. Don't try to. Um, don't try to go beyond the context of the scripture. But I spent a lot of my life as a Christian, all the, all the left behind stuff, trying to speculate about what it all means. Yeah, so, and I feel like a lot of a lot of people have so. done this exact same. Yeah. So I'm like, then is this warning like as they? All right, I'm gonna I'm this, gonna yeah, I'm like, gonna just pull it up yeah. very quickly. With glasses, I'm gonna see what ChatGPT has to say about this. Yeah, what is the meaning of the curse in Revelation eight, uh, 22, 18, Wasn't it? Yeah, and then it says, um, yeah, you will, what's it? God will take away that person's share in the tree of life, in the holy sun, um, no, in the holy city, which are described in the skull. Like, that's pretty big. I was like, does that mean, you like, if you do any of this, like, well, what does that a person mean? Does he lose your salvation? What does that Wait, mean? What? Yeah, what's, what? Well, what? I think first of all, we should find out what it's trying to say about okay. altering. Yeah, Let's, yeah, yeah. So this is, I'm going to say this as I do every time. This is a disclaimer because this is just chat GPT, which okay. is using... Um, evidence on the internet. So you'd want to dig further and read some actual commentaries, not just GPT, but here's yep. what it says. Uh, the revelation, the warning in Revelation 22, 18 is specifically about altering the text of the book of Revelation itself, although the principle is often understood more broadly as a warning against altering or misrepresenting the teachings of the Bible as a whole. Essentially, it serves as a stern caution against modifying, adding to, or taking away from the words or prophecies contained in Scripture. That's how I would have read it, I think, yeah. but I suspect there's more to it. The curse is the addition of the plagues described in this book, which are some pretty horrible plagues. Yeah, that pretty horrible plagues. To anyone who alters the text. These plagues likely refer to the various judgments and calamities described throughout the book of Revelation, which are associated with the wrath of God in the end times. In the historical context, the, this type of right warning is not unique to Revelation. Similar warnings exist in other ancient texts to preserve their integrity. However, given the sacred nature of the biblical text, the warning takes on a more severe tone, highlighting the importance of maintaining purity and integrity of God's word. Okay, so it's interesting there they're saying that's probably a common form of um, writing at the time is when people were writing decrees or whatever, they would often say something like that. If, 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 you, if you don't do this, there's a judgment coming upon you. If you disobey the words of this, um, this will happen to you. So it's probably a common way of writing okay. that they're picking up on, that John's picking up on and, and, and writing into the book of Revelation here. 
Um, I suspect there's more to it than that, though. I think as a general rule, let's take a step back and go. I'm hoping so because that just seems like, oh, okay. Yeah, I think that's basically <laughs> what it's trying to do. I suspect what it's trying to do is it's trying to say, as, as we sum it up, this is this is the word of God. This is trustworthy promises from God. Okay. Don't go beyond what it says. Don't try to manipulate it for your own personal gain. I actually think that's probably more the point. So you, you mean like as in purposely printing off but then changing the phrases and the words or and even the way we teaching. teach it to, well I might, okay. you might I mean I've you can I can teach the Bible heretically I can take this is what cults do all the time they take the Bible and twist its meaning to serve serve the purpose of the the cult leader and you end up with people worshiping them and honoring them and giving them praise and giving them glory so would you say that they because some people do do that like you know they're the ones that are opening themselves up is, to judgment yeah are they opening themselves yes, up to I this? think that's the point I think if you start to manipulate and twist God's word for your own personal gain, I think you're on very shaky ground. I think that's what the, Has there the been risk is. any evidence of people like who are in cults who have used the Bible but changed anything? Um, has there been any evidence of any of the plagues or anything bad happening uh, straight after they're formed or anything uh, like I, that? I, I wouldn't say definitely. I think, I mean, there could be. I'm not, not off the top of my head. Mm. I don't know even if even in that sense whether or not you should think of it that way. It's like the, the plagues could be metaphorical. Metaphorically. Because yeah. the plagues mentioned in the book of Revelation, a lot of them directly linked to the Exodus plagues as well. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. So, my, I'm like, so once hey. again, whether it's literal, the boils and the flies and the gnats and all or that. The cult leaders are having their meeting at their house and, and like, oh, there's, there's a bunch of frogs everywhere. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure like the way you think, Adrian. Yeah, yeah I don't think that's the point. I mean, that could happen. Yeah. But I think metaphorically speaking, it's these plagues are a sign of God's judgment. So I think it's saying... It might not look like it. You might look like you're going to get away with it. But in the end, truth will come out and God will judge that kind of self-focused living. Mm. I think that's what we should be saying. God will add those plagues to you. In the end, the judgment of God will come down hard and God will come down hard on those who manipulate and use the word of God for their own personal gain. I mean, I can't think of anything potentially more harsh that God would speak against than that. In fact, that's what the Pharisees were doing. They were, and the Sadducees, they were manipulating God's word for their own gain. And Jesus has a few things to say, like, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. He says woe and hypocrites a lot. A lot. Yep. And he's talking to people who are doing what we're just reading about here. I reckon that's what's going on. It's this, it's this thing of, don't you go adding to this. Don't you go manipulating this for your own gain. That's that's my assumption on okay. what's happening there. All right. I have um I have another question. This one's a bit off. Um, yeah, this is a bit off Revelation twenty two. It's just like a, a section over in twenty one. I, I know I keep going to that's 21. all right. Um, but uh, it says over here. I don't know if someone else has covered this. I don't think we've done much in you. I think this might be only the second or third chapter we've done in Revelation this okay. podcast. It says in chapter eight. Uh, but the cowardly. Um, wait, no, oh, yeah. this one. Yeah, but the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile. Um, yeah, the murderers, the sexual merit says that also in 22. Um, those who practice uh, magic uh, arts, the idolaters and all liars, they will be consigned to the uh, fury lakes of fire. And this is the second death. Mm-hmm. Now, I was wondering, what is the second death? Like, what is that? And uh, this is to what I also questioned in um, Isaiah as well. I brought up was like um, the pit. Is there like, because people in the Old Testament, they looked... Like, were they in a waiting room? They, is we, there three sections? So is there uh, the yes, sulfur okay. pits? Is there <laughs> the waiting room? <laughs> and is there heaven? Okay, like, is so. it is it sort of thing? Yeah. Like, I, I, okay, so I used to be able – I used to feel like I could um, 
I, I probably, I still can put a very neat map together of what it all looks like, a diagram <laughs> yeah. and show you this is Sheol and this is Hades and yeah. this is Tartarus and this is out of darkness. So like, and, is it just other words preferring to um, hell or are these actual different places? I So I used to be able to say they're all different places and all that sort of stuff. I'm less dogmatic about that now. Okay. I, I, I'm much more willing to take a step back and go, I think a lot of it is metaphorical. I think a lot of it, I, if I, I don't want to, I don't want to get so self-assured that this this thing is this place and this thing is this place. I I can do it. So let me let me give you an example of what they were probably thinking at the time that this was written. They were they would have had an understanding of Hades, which is a place of the dead. Uh, it's the Hades is the Greek word for well the god Hades, the Greek god Hades, but it meant the place of the dead. It was the Greek version of what was translated Sheol, which was the place of the dead in the Old Testament. Um, and that was definitely different to God's dwelling place. God dwelt in heaven. This is a different place. This is an un- it was underworld actually. It was seen as underneath underworld, but uh, the underworld, not like the underworld as in hell or underworld. As uh, well, in as in they of- actually thought. I mean, think about it logically. When they buried people, they put them in the earth. Yeah, they put them. So in there's the an understanding that down there somewhere was where the dead people went. Yeah. So that's how the it developed over time, that that there would be this underworld place. Now, as it, by the time you get to the first century, they still have this understanding of this underworld, this Hades place, um, but it's split in two parts. They there's a there's a they're both waiting rooms. One's a waiting room for judgment. One's a waiting room for Jesus. Okay. Um, and he, and Jesus when he dies on the cross. He says to the thief next to him who repents, he says, today you'll be with me in paradise. Paradise. So paradise there is the waiting room, the good good part of the waiting room. Okay. You know, like there's a wall up the middle. You're in the good part of the waiting room. I'm coming to paradise to meet you. I'm going to take you and all the people waiting in paradise to be with me in heaven. So that's kind of what the what? understanding was. Well, it's a bit like that, right? <laughs> Wait, what? Does that make sense? Paradise is like... Underneath. What? Yeah, it's not... Paradise isn't heaven. Okay. So this, I'm just saying this is what they would have understood it to be. So Jesus, um, this is what they would have understood. Jesus, somehow when he died on the cross, he went down into the depths, into Hades. Into Hades. Into the, the place of the dead, and he took the Christians free. So is that the all the Old all, Testament All Christian. the Old Testament saints waiting there. It's a good place. It's paradise. So it's a good place. The saints, because uh, in... Um at that point, was it addressed how you became a Christian? No, so these are believers. Well, no, not just really. Believers. So just call them Old Testament believers, men and women of God, people okay. who believed in God. Who believed they in have God? Some some sort of revelation there. Whatever it is, they look like they've they've been faithful to God. God has got them, He's held them, and they're in this divine waiting room. And Jesus is going to come and say, "Hey, guys, we're out of here. Let's go to heaven." Now, that's the that's the belief that I think most people would think they understood in the New Testament. And I would, and I still probably largely hold to that, but I just hold to it a little bit, little bit more loose, loosely. I'm, I'm much more comfortable with the fact that I don't think we can fit it all together into a nice, neat pattern. Yeah, because I'm just the only thing. Because I'm like, what were they doing? Like, were was all the Christians sitting in hell? Like, were they just sitting there so, until Jesus was like, "Oh, don't worry." So now yes, you can I come think up. I don't think you have to think of it as hell. That's the problem. Is the word hell carries with it a whole lot of Middle Eastern Middle Age connotations? Where did to us. hell? Yeah, well, that's just it. The, the word hell has been translated from the word Hades, um, but we need to understand that in the New Testament, Hades wasn't the whole of Hades wasn't seen as a bad place. Hades was the place of the underworld. It's where where dead people went to, and it, w- there was torture there. There wasn't, was wasn't Hades or I don't know where it probably says it in the Bible somewhere. But was it ever described? Wasn't it ever described? 
or was that uh, just not exhaustively ma- like just yeah. making it up? Or yeah, the whole the whole witnesses concept from people who thought they went to hell. Or well, most of like, most of the understanding we would have of hell, uh, you know, that we would think about the devil with his pitchfork and flames <laughs> and all that sort yeah, of stuff. Yeah, that's just like an over that what, that's over, come out of yeah. Dante's in Dante's Divine Comedy, which was written in the in the Dark Ages, the Middle Ages. That yeah. wasn't written at the time of Jesus. They had yeah. a very different concept than that. But there was the Greek god Hades who um, was the god of the underworld. Uh, he was often depicted as having horns and stuff like that. So that's where the picture of Satan with horns comes mm. from. It comes it comes more from the Greek understanding than it does from the Bible. You won't find a reference to Satan having horns anywhere in the Bible. Yeah, because obviously everyone's view of Satan has always got horns. Yeah, that's like right. That. But that came out of the Greek understanding. Yeah, not, like how much is that? Most actually? of it is the serpent. serpent. You know, it's snake, serpent, snake. nahush. That's the Hebrew word. So most of that's the understanding. Was, so, sorry. Oh yeah, was was the was, was he ever in he like a human form, uh, or is he just he's I, just always depicted? No, as No, I think Satan, I think there I probably guess, was so human. I think there was probably human human kind of form there. Yeah, yeah. I think so. Um, yeah, I don't. It doesn't say emphatically. So this is the thing: is we it's very hard to build a, a strong doctrine of satan in that sense because it's it's bits and pieces we put together and we try to figure it out but mm. i think what we'd be surprised about is how much of our doctrine of hell and satan has not come from the bible it's come from other things along the way so i would just say when it says you know that there is this lake of burning sulfur this lake of burning fiery lake of burning sulfur the second death whatever that is you don't want to go there okay <laughs> that's how i picture it. it's a place of absolute Judgment, and I've said this several times on the podcast. I think it was um, G.K. Chesterton said that hell, or whatever you want to call it, is the ultimate testament to human free will. Okay. That ultimately, God will, as C.S. Lewis says, God will say, uh, either we will say to God, God, your will be done, or God will say your to us, your will be done. In other words, God has given us free will. We can choose Him. So we say, your will be done. I'm admitting that I'm a sinner, but I'm going to stay you. a sinner. Exactly. Or that was what we read in Psalm 19, this, I, God, I need your will, search my heart. Search my heart. Or God will say, well, if you don't ask me to let his will be done, God's going to go, okay, I'm free choice. You guys can live however you want. And the end result of that is hell. So uh, it was G.K. Chesterton said, hell is the ultimate monument to human free will. That if we left to our own devices, we're going to go to a place of destruction because that's what humans do. We choose what's right for ourselves. At the expense of what's right for others yeah, and God's and that's kingdom, just and that much is what's being preached now. That's pretty much what's being preached, and that is the, that is that is the definition of hell: is the absence of God, the absence of a place where God is. And so God's saying here: if you keep choosing your own way, you're going to end up in the second yeah. death. Does that also mean, um, or humans, it, it removes all the aspects that make humans good, um, like love? Like the love ab- will still be a thing, but it's a, it would be more of a selfish love. Or I like th- I see what you're saying. Like uh, in, yeah, I get you. Like the, obviously, is there's not going to be anything towards kindness or generosity or I any see. of that sort of thing yeah. in hell, unless there's somehow a it's like a fake version of that, a fake version of that yes. or something. Well, isn't that true that a lot of a lot of acts that humans do can look can look selfless on the outside, but really our motive is selfish. Mm. Uh, you know, I'll give money to the poor because I'll get the, ac- the accolades. And Jesus says, you know, the Pharisees, they, you, you know, you, you look like you do everything right. You give all your money away. You look at, you make a big show and sing and dance of it. And you've received all the reward you're ever going to get. So it looks good on the outside, but the heart 
on the inside is self is selfish. Think selfish. Yeah. That's what Jesus is trying to get at. That's what the scriptures are getting at. That a true believer, their motive needs to be selfless. Okay. Yeah. All right. Cool. Yeah. All right. Anything there? That's some good questions. I like that. That's some good. Yeah, we could go on all day with that. We're going to keep pressing on. All right, cool. All right, so where are we headed now? Um, yeah, I think next up is Matthew. Now we're going back to Matthew. Yeah, we're going to Matthew. Um, so we will be now moving on to Matthew chapter one, which we've already done a couple of weeks ago. But this is Christmas. Weeks, These yeah. are the Christmas story, so Christmas we're going to back up and do it yeah. more than once. Um, yeah, I've obviously most people have read through this one uh, many, many times. It's pretty good because it tracks, you know, the genealogy. And um, as uh, my mom said beforehand, you know, the whole fourteen, fourteen, fourteen thing. Yep. You know, all the generation seven, 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 all that sort of stuff repeats. Um, it's cool for what you know. I read in um, Isaiah 36. You can just pretty much pinpoint where Isaiah is. Yes, you can. He's you like, can see him there. Yep, right there. Hezekiah. <laughs> yep, father Hezekiah, of Manasseh. The father of Manasseh. Yep. Like, um, yeah, like, uh, yeah, there he is. All right. Um, but like, um, I think I only had like one question from this one. All right. Um, maybe with it. Yeah, because I think my mom went over pretty much a lot of stuff. Yeah, um, that's right. But you yeah. might have a different perspective on something. Yeah. Yep. Um, the only thing I had was, um, I think it was in 22. If we go quickly to 22, and it's so different from what I've been doing previously. Uh, all this took place uh, to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Um, I was just wondering who the prophet was. Was the prophet... Uh, this is a prophecy from the book of Isaiah where we started. So it was from Isaiah. Yes, this is Isaiah. I think it's probably, uh, let me go seven, about chapter seven or something, is it? Let oh. me have a look. Uh, see, have you got it in your study notes there? I'll, I'll be, you have a, if you have a look in your Bible, you might see a little, do you have footnotes there that'll oh, tell you next to I have, Emmanuel? Um, no, I don't. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, Isaiah 7. Oh, it's interesting. It says Isaiah 7 verse 14, Isaiah 8, 8. And verse 10. Okay, so let's just have a quick look there. Isaiah 7 verse 14 says, All right then, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. That was 8.8. Isaiah 8 verse 8 says, Sweep into Judah until it's chin deep. It will spread its wings, submerging your land from one end to the other, O Emmanuel. Okay, so it's the reference to the word Emmanuel, Emmanuel. appears, okay? Okay. And a couple of times. But it's it it's a he's he's quoting Isaiah having a prophecy about uh, um Ahaz, who's Hezekiah's father, having a son who would be called Emmanuel, I think. Emmanuel. Okay. Uh, uh, who's having the son? The Lord said to Isaiah, Take your son, so Isaiah's son, Shia Jashab. And go out and meet King Ahaz. So Ahaz is a wicked king. Go out and meet him. This is all in Isaiah 7. Tell him to stop worrying about all the enemy. He says, trust in the Lord. He's trying to get Ahaz to turn back to God. He says, the invasion will never happen. It will never stop here. And then then he'll say, say, um, the Lord sent this message to King Ahaz. Ask the Lord for a sign of confirmation. Make it as difficult as you want. Ahaz says, no, I'm not going to do that. And Isaiah says, okay, well, I'm going to give you a sign. You will have a, there will be a virgin who will conceive and give birth to a child. So 
there's a prophecy about a virgin having a baby. A virgin having a baby. That's very specific. It's very specific. In its first instance, it's not actually talking about only the Messiah. It's actually about probably a young girl having a baby at the time. It was prophetically speaking to those particular time. And it's saying when this little young child rises before it grows, it, it, God's going to deliver the people. But then Matthew picks up on this prophecy and he says, and, and, the, and the early writers in the Bible, the early prophets in the Bible, later Bible prophets, like by the time of Jesus, all the prophetic people are expecting um, that the Messiah would be, born, would be born through a virgin. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. That's easy. Um, yeah. I think the only other one I had was um, like uh, just adding that uh, says in chapter, no, not chapter, verse 24 says, when Joseph woke up, he did what uh, a, an angel of the Lord said, commanded him and took Mary home to be his wife. Then, uh, but he did not consecrate their marriage until he gave birth to a son. And then he gave them the name Jesus. Consecrate meaning uh, having sexual having sexual, sexual relationships. Sexual relations. Yeah. yeah. But it's just weird that he they even said that. I'm like, if, of course, if your wife is pregnant, you wouldn't do that. Oh, well, <laughs> I don't expect you to know that. But yeah, you can you can still have can people you? can still okay. have yes. You don't. This is pregnancy just doesn't stop. This is eye-opening for you. For no, people can still have people can still have sexual relationships <laughs> oh, okay. when they're pregnant. Okay, I didn't know that. No, I actually had no clue. There you go. You okay. no one expect you. No, know. I so, know that. So, so innocent you are, brother. <laughs> I'm impressed. I'm impressed. I'm impressed by your innocence. No, no, that's that's t- people can still people can still have. So no, it's not that. I think the purpose of it well, was to say that that Mary was at this virgin birth. Let's keep it that way. Let's keep it that way. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yes, because they, they could, it was so important that Mary not be seen as, uh, that this not be a natural baby, that okay. Joseph was willing to forego any kind of sexual union for the sake of her being able to be a virgin and give birth to the Son of God. Okay. Yep. All right, cool. That's good. All right. <laughs> Great. I like that question. No, I have for you. <laughs> Oh, I could go further there, but I won't. We'll, okay. we'll, we'll keep yeah. it generated. Yeah, that's all I really had to say about all right. Matthew. Well, yeah, one. we did do it. Go back if you're not listening. If you you know, if you were listening, to, go back a couple of weeks and listen to the conversation in Matthew one with um with your with Adrian's mum Leone because there I did we did talk at length about yeah, the geology and a little yep. bit more length. So we're actually going to do chapter two in a moment as well and see if you pull out something else out of there. Yeah. Next up is Matthew chapter 2. Um, yeah, this is like uh, right after this is when the three wise men come through and then what was his I have name? To correct you. I have to correct you. Oh, Noah. sorry. Not three wise men. Three gifts. Uh, three gifts. That's Multiple right. magi. Multiple <laughs> wise magi. men. We yeah. don't know how many there were. Yep. Uh, we know. three kings. I mean, I've seen, you've done the whole we three kings song in church, haven't you? Yep. you you've been one of the three kings. <laughs> sorry <laughs> yeah. to disappoint you, but that's... Uh, it's a great song. I like it, but it's uh, it's not yeah accurate. It's not historically accurate. Nope, not at all. Anyway, carry on. Yep. Anyway, from uh, that whoopsie. Um. Yeah. Like the the magi and uh, they're not really because uh, in when you read it here after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judah during the time of King Harold the big king mean man Harold 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 Harold. Herod. King Harold was a king <laughs> no. in the, in, the, in England <laughs> no, at the time of the Vikings. That was different. Yeah. King Harold. King Harold. Um, uh, the Magi from the east uh, came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been, been born king of the Jews? Uh, we saw his star when it rose and we've come to worship him. Uh, then King Harold heard about this. Um, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them, where 
no, asked them, yeah, where the Messiah was to be born, in Bethlehem, in Judah. They replied, for this is what the prophet has written, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will, who will shepherd my people. And Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I may too go and worship him. And then it goes a few down. It's like, like as in the Magi, just like they, know, they don't appear ever again, do they? Uh, no, no, they don't. No. They're, not, they're not Jews. They're coming from a long way away. And I mentioned this to your mum. They're probably it, there's a, there's a good amount of scholarship that says they may have been uh, descendants from an order that King that that Daniel from the Old Testament, who was living in Babylon and very successful at the time, had instituted a a series where he was looking to the heavens for the promises of God. And these guys might have been the descendants of that. It kind of kind of kept that secret, kept that kept looking out for that. So no, this is it. They come. They offer their gifts and they disappear again. And that's it. That's they're written out of the story again when they go home. It's kind of crazy. I thought they would have more of like I don't know a position or more of a story in the story. Yeah, yeah they just appear once. They give their gifts. Yeah. You know. Well, I think th- that's why I think we need to realize what's going on in this story. Is these are, these are people who aren't Jews. They're probably linked to maybe some of the Jewish remnant that were living still living in Babylon at the time. Babylon's a long way east. It's on modern day Iraq. It's a long way from Israel. So, you know, as you can't even drive, you can't even go straight across because you go through the desert. You actually go up way north and come around. It's a long way. Um, these guys travel for several months. Yeah. So these guys travel for several months on camel to get there, uh, most likely on camel or whatever. And um, I think the, the intention of it, that God has written this into the story one, these gifts are pretty substantial gold frankincense and myrrh, they're all expensive. So it could be that, I mean, they're about to head off into Egypt for some, for many years, for several years, while King Herod and his and, and you know, his successors die because they're about to be persecuted. So maybe these gifts kept them going during those during that time, gave them resource. So mm. that's part of it. God was protecting Jesus and his family by giving them some resources. Uh, it's not the sort of gift you'd give to any old baby, gold, frankincense. That is and true. It's a pretty special baby. It's a pretty special baby. So I think that's going on. It's almost like God's just written these people into the story and then they just head home again. They've seen the king of the Jews and they had head home. Mm. I, there's more to that than there's more speculate. There's more to speculate about than what we can see in the scripture. In the scripture, they just appear. They're gone again pretty quickly. Yeah. Okay. Um, and was, uh, was King Harold, like, was he just some random king that took over? Uh, no, he, he was probably, a lot of people reckon he was the richest man that's ever lived. Oh, that's right. He has that, that incredible fort or something. I think, uh, multiple. Yes, multiple, yep. but it was he, that impenetrable one. Impenetrable fortress on top of the hill. On top of the yep. hill. Yep. So he, most of the major building projects are his. Yeah. The, the modern day Temple Mount where the Dome of the Rock sits in Jerusalem, a massive, big complex block. That's his. That's right. Caesarea by the water is his. Yeah. He, he didn't do anything by halves. He was probably one of the richest men and that's, and he actually wasn't a Jew. He was a, a neighboring country called an, Edom, an Edomite or he came from a, a neighboring semi-related to the Jews, but he married semi-related, a, semi-related like um, Edom, the Edomites were uh, Jacob's brother. Jacob was the descendant. So this is like the closest tribe, okay, close, the closest nation to the Israelites. And he married a Jew. Her name was Miriam, I think. 
and uh, he married her and he struck a deal with the Romans that basically said, make me the king of the Jews and I'll protect, I'll protect, I'll govern on your behalf. And so he did that. He was very wealthy and very egotistical. Um, the closest thing I think Herod's like is King Henry VIII. Mm. He was angry as he got on in life. He got crazy and did crazy things and killed his wife and sent, killed a couple of his sons. He was very, very um, insecure towards the end of his life, but he was incredibly wealthy and powerful. And that's that's this King Herod. Okay. He's cool. insecure. So when a whole entourage comes from a foreign country saying, we come to worship the king of the Jews, he goes, that's me. I'm the king of the Jews. So he gets pretty insecure. If he hears that there's someone out there who has the who is being called the king of the Jews, that's an attack on him. You can see why he's insecure. He's thinking, i got to do something about that. i got to wipe that king of the Jew out. before, And that's why he orders the slaughtering of the innocents because he wants to, the because he's insecure because he mm. thinks any anyone claiming that someone else is the king of the Jews is going to detract from my power. Yeah. Uh, after Herod died, uh, was this in verse 19, after Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream to Joseph in Egypt. So again, because um, later on they escaped to Egypt. So they went down to Egypt? They went down the, to Egypt. It's yep. funny again, Egypt once more. Yep. Like Egypt, like with, um, what's it, with... Um, it happened Hezekiah. with Hezekiah. Hezekiah. Yep. And then again, now again. I was like, yep. In fact, it happens in between too. When the when the Babylonians come and they conquer, they actually there's a remnant of them go, try to escape to Egypt, Egypt as well. They take Jeremiah with them to Egypt. Yeah. Because uh, it, it was the nearest superpower. It was the nearest major power. And so I can understand. And they'd all forgotten the trauma. That they'd happened. all forgotten the trauma oh that had happened down there before. Exactly. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, my yeah goodness. so they escaped to Egypt and uh, the, in this case, the Lord sent him to Egypt to protect him because once he was in Egypt, he was outside of Herod's jurisdiction. Mm. Herod wasn't in, wasn't didn't have any power in Egypt. It, Egypt was a a Roman uh, colony at this time, so the Romans had sway there. But Herod only had power over the region of Israel. So it makes sense yeah. that they would go there to get out of Herod's way until Herod dies. Fair enough. Okay. To protect Jesus. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So yeah. that's what's happened there. And then when Herod dies, the Lord says in a dream. Now you can go back again. You can go back again. Yep. And they go back to, they go back to um, Nazareth. Anything else in Matthew two? Um, no, no. They're just the you know the fact that you know he, the prophet. Yeah, what's it? Just says uh, something. Man. Where is it? Something about him being a Nazarene. Where is that? Uh, Twenty-one. So he got up, took the child. Or I said Matthew two. I mean Matthew yep. one. Uh, his mother and went to the land of Israel. For when he heard, then his son took over, um, was reigning, uh, I don't want to pronounce the name, <laughs> uh, Judah placed, wait, no, was reigning in Judah, he placed, no, in place of his father, Harold, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, uh, he withdrew to the district of Galilee and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled, that was said through the prophets that he would be called a Nazarene. Yep. Pretty yep. basic there. Pretty basic. Except I'm just looking, there's no reference to what that scripture is, and I don't know where that scripture is. What prophet said that the Messiah would be a Nazarene? I actually don't know. And it's, and it's interesting, there's no reference, there's no cross-reference in my Bible. So I have to Google that. <laughs> yeah, who said that? <laughs> that who was, what that? is it? Uh, what prophets? Yeah, well, let me just Google that. Was it? It's, it's Matthew 20, Matthew 2, uh, Matthew verse 23. Two. Oh, isn't it 21? 
Yeah. Oh, no, 23. (laughs) What profit (laughs) – let's just see what it says. What profit is being quoted? Let's just see because I don't reckon there's a prophecy there or they would have had a sub – they would have had a note. What profit is being quoted in Matthew 2 – was it 23? Yeah, 2.23. The verse says, and he lived in Nazareth, so he'd be called a prophet. Interestingly, there's no specific Old Testament prophet who's quoted as saying this. This has led to various interpretations among scholars. One possibility is Matthew is summarizing a general theme found in the prophets rather than a specific quote. The term Nazarene could be play on words for the Hebrew word Netzah, which means branch or shoot, and it talks about the Messiah coming as a shoot of David or Jesse. Another interpretation is that Matthew is speaking of the lowly and despised nature of Nazareth, which I was talking to your mum about. Mm reflecting Old Testament prophecies that speak of Messiah as despised and rejected. So interesting that there's no specific prophecy, but something in their con- in Matthew's mindset makes him think that there's a prophecy about Nazareth there. Uh, Nazareth, Nazarene. W- was it uh, the fact that he was a Nazarene and Nazarene, nothing good comes out of Nazareth? Yes, Nazareth. so Nazareth was a, a, a backwater town. A backwater town. Yeah. And he was, he was really like, um, when he was born, really trying to sell that he was like not – what the Jews had sort of had it in pictured their That's savior correct. as. Yep, not where you, not just, where you would expect him to be He's going to the lowest of the lowest of the lowest yeah. of the lowest. Exactly. And he grew up in, he's born in Bethlehem in the shadow of Herod's palace. Herod, yep. Herod, one of Herod's other great places is the Herodian, which is where he died. It's this massive palace on top of a hill where they needed two, they couldn't, he couldn't find a, a high enough palace. hill. So he, he, he took one hill and he got his slaves to dig half the hill and put it on top of the other hill to create a bigger hill and then put a palace on the top of it (laughs) in the middle of a desert and then put a swimming pool down the bottom that's bigger than an Olympic swimming pool in the desert where there's no water. So, I mean, everything about this is massive and Jesus is like, it's almost like God's going, watch this, I'm going to show you how humble I am. (laughs) Jesus is born in the shadow of that massive palace in a a manger in a stable. So I think that's the point. Did a exactly massive like humble stroke. It's but then he's like, well, I can be humble because I am humble. I am humble. He's That's the right. only person you can say, <laughs> you can I'm, say humble. I'm humble. <laughs> That's right. You can truly say I'm humble. Person. Yes, he is. Yeah. All right, well, that's Matthew 2. What's, uh, what else have we got left? Um, next up, I think we have John 2. John 2? In John, yeah, John 2. Okay. So um, next up we have uh, 2 John, not John 2. Yep. Um, I do get those confused. Yeah, it's uh, confusing. Yeah. I got it confusing too. 2 John and 3 John, two yep. single chapter letters we're doing. Two yep. single chapter letters. Um, Which are written late in John's life. Late in John's life. They're actually, mm-hmm. what's it? They're the books that are... Right, it like they're right, right next to Revelation. The, well, think. there's only one in between, which there's we did with your mum. Book of Jude, book, book two, of Jude. one John, yeah, two Jude. John, three John, Jude, and Revelation. Yeah. The last four or five books, and they're very Bible. small too. They are. They're tiny. Yep. This yeah. Is, it's only short letters. The short letters. All right. I think I have. Yeah, I think I have about two. I think they're pretty big ones though. Okay. Yep. Um. So I'll just start reading. Mm-hmm. Um. The elder to the lady chosen by God to her children whom I love in the truth. And not I only, but also all who know the truth because of the truth, which lives in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, peace from God, the Father, and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, will be with us in truth and love. It has given me great joy to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as the Father commanded us. And now, dear lady, I am not writing you a new command, but one we have had from the beginning. I ask that we love one another, and this is love, 
that we walk in obedience to his commands. As you have heard from the beginning, his command is that you walk in love. Um, I say this because many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming uh, in the flesh have gone out into the world. Any such person is the deceiver and the antichrist. Um, watch out. Yeah, watch out that you do not lose what we have worked for, but that you may be rewarded fully. Anyone who runs ahead and does not continue in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Uh, whoever continues in the teaching um, has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring his teaching, um, teaching, do not take them into your house or welcome them. Anyone who welcomes them shares in their wicked work. I have much to write to you, but I do not want to use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to visit you and talk with you face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your sister, who is chosen by God, send their greetings. So um, let's see if I can find it. Uh, do verse... What do I want to do? I'll be jumping around. We'll do verse 7. 7, yeah. Um, where it says, I say this because many deceivers who don't acknowledge Jesus is coming in the flesh have gone into the world. Any such person is the deceiver of the Antichrist. So are there multiple Antichrists? Uh, or is there one Antichrist is is the deceiver? The deceiver is that Satan become flesh or is he... Like, is it a metaphor? Like, what's going on here? Now you're starting to talk like through your left behind lens of Revelation where there's this one antichrist who will, you know, de deceive the world. I think what we need to see here is that it's not specifically talking about um, a particular person. It's a spirit in the world. So the word antichrist, when we think antichrist, we think it means opposing Christ. Yeah. Right, the word anti in the in the Greek, I think it means more another one. It's like a parallel Christ. So it's like another Christ. Someone who's like someone who's copying, someone who's claiming to be Messiah. And so there's, I think the way that the New Testament writers do this is they're addressing more as this spirit of Antichrist. There's this false spirit in the world that is trying to set itself up as a Messiah complex. Follow me, do it my way, and you'll have real life. Um, and that can manifest itself in all different ways. In this case, they, these people were claiming that Jesus didn't have a real body. This is actually a refu refutation of a specific uh, specific um, false teaching that was beginning to develop in the early stages called Gnosticism, where they thought the body was bad and oh, yeah, the you spirit were was good. I was talking to you about this, yeah, okay? So and I talked, yep. to, but I didn't talk about this aspect of it. So the end result, there was a couple of aspects I mentioned with your mum about beliefs. One of them that I didn't mention was that if the body was bad and the spirit was good, they had this belief that, well, Jesus couldn't have, the spirit of Jesus couldn't have actually really come in human form because why would a perfect God come, down. come into an imperfect perfect human, body. evil yeah. human body, right? So they had this belief that they actually taught, well, Jesus didn't really come in the flesh. He was just a spirit that kind of looked like he was the flesh. But it was just really wasn't a really a person. He was just he just a bit like an angel appears as a appears as a human, but not really a human. And that was a false teaching that was infiltrating the church. The problem was when you start having that, the cross deny the, we deny the power of the cross because mm. the very fact that Jesus is a hundred percent man and a hundred percent it's our God, salvation. Like it's it. our salvation is linked to it. So yeah. it's a false teaching that was very dangerous. And you can see why John's coming and saying anyone who's saying that Jesus didn't come in the flesh, they are a spirit of antichrist. Anyone who won't claim that Jesus really did have a human body, he really was God in the flesh, if they don't claim that, 
It's false teaching. So that's what he's saying. Watch out. Don't lose your faith is why he's saying that. Mm, okay. Yeah. I just wanted to make that clear because it says deceiver and, and the deceiver. Uh, yes. The, he's, he's, well, it says he's a deceiver and an antichrist, it says in my version. So what does it say in yours? Uh, it, it says any – well, it says, I say this because many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh have gone out into the world. Any such person, it does say any such person, mm-hmm. is the deceiver. I want to say what is the deceiver. Okay, so Why I'm not sure the definite deceiver? article. Well, the NLT says a deceiver this and an antichrist. Deceiver. And th- that version says the, which is first person. Like, So I'm not sure without looking at the Greek, I wouldn't know which is the def. Is it the or a? Because they seem to be two different things. One is the only one, the, or at means one of a group. <laughs> yeah, I'm thinking, uh, this is what I'm thinking. I'm thinking got the deceiver the antichrist and then you've got all these little minions Mini on the side of song, like yeah. well i think it's i think that's why i'm thinking <laughs> yeah. it's pretty fit, safe to say there's this spirit in the world of wrong teaching yep. which is deceiving people mm. and i think that's what's saying anyone who's going around preaching that jesus hasn't come in the flesh they're deceiving you mm. yeah i think that's all he's trying to say okay that mm-hmm. sounds easy um verse 10 there's something in verse 10 i was trying to where was it if anyone comes to you and does not bring his teaching um, do not take them into your house and welcome them. Mm, sounds weird, doesn't it? It does sound a bit weird. <laughs> so, you know, you think, well, hang on a sec. One of the best places I can take people is in my home. In my home. The hospitality. And share the yeah. yeah. Like, so I think this is specifically pe- claiming for people who are coming into the church, claiming to teach this stuff, claiming to teach this false stuff. And he's trying to say, don't enter into that because that will lead people astray. Don't let people come in and teach this false doctrine in the church. Mm. This is not a picture for someone who's seeking faith, who's trying to find out who Jesus is. This is people. Have you who, any, ever encountered anyone like this? Uh, yeah, a couple over the years, not many. Where they just not so much this, but yeah, people who just are completely convinced they're teaching truth, but they're actually teaching heresy that's dangerous. And I, a couple of them over the years, and it's hard because you don't – I want to be a nice person. I don't want to cut people off. No. But there comes a point at which I've got to go, you know, you can't teach that in this church because I have a responsibility as the shepherd to make sure I care of the rest of the flock. And, uh, you know, you're not – you know, I can't – if you're not prepared – you're welcome in this church, but not while you're teaching something that's, that I believe is harming the flock. Go find your own people. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's so it, twice I can think of. I won't name people, but there's twice I can think of okay. where I've had to do that. Yeah, it's not something you go around. I go. I don't go around looking for it. And I wouldn't even do it on the first instance. These are people who are continually, willfully um, teaching a value or a system that I believe in all good conscience I can't let continue because it's damaging to the rest of the people I'm called to care for. Mm, okay. Yeah. It's very like pastoral care sort of stuff as well. Yeah, it is. But, I mean, it's also a lot for the individual. Like as in, I don't know, I guess a lot of people associate this first also with the end times as well because. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. There's <laughs> so much this is so, well, so, yeah. so much this could easily be put into the end times, but I don't think that's what's going on here. It's yeah. just about false teaching. Yeah. 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 Okay, cool. That's 2 John 1. 2 John 1. Nearly there. Oh, so close. One to go. <laughs> So we'll be looking at the last one, uh, 3 John in the uh, New Testament. Um, yeah, I think this is 
Yeah, this is the last one. Um, this is the last one. This is it? the last one. I keep repeating it. But yeah, this is the last one. Um, yeah. Because you're so excited because you've been going for two hours and 20 <laughs> minutes. Two hours and 20 minutes. Um, I don't know if I have yeah as much to say about this one. Okay. Um, but I will still read it. Um, yeah, it's only short. Yeah, maybe, I don't know, something will come up Yeah, as well. yeah, if you've got a couple of questions yeah. as you read it. Yeah, and as I'll, I'll, I'll pull it. a couple yeah. of thoughts out of, uh, if necessary. Yeah, all right. Um, the Elder. To my dear friend, uh, Gale- oh, it's Gaius? Gaius. 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 Whom I love in the truth. Dear friend, I pray that you may or enjoy. Gaius, either way. Gaius. Gaius, guys. Yeah, tomato, tomato. <laughs> tomato, tomato. Dear friend, I pray that you have, uh, you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you, uh, even as your soul is getting along well. It gave me great joy when some believers came and test, uh, yeah, uh, was it? Came and testified about your faithfulness to the truth. Uh, Telling you, telling how you continue to walk in it, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Dear friend, you are faithful in what you are doing for the brothers and sisters, even though they are strangers to you. Uh, they have told the church about your love. Please send them on their way in a manner that honors God. It was for the sake of the name, um, sake of yeah, the name that they went out. Uh, receiving no help from the pagans. We ought, therefore, to show hospitality to such people so that they may work together for the truth. I wrote to the church, but um, Diotrephus, Diotrephus, yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah. Um, who loves to be first will not welcome us. So when I come, I will call attention to what he is doing, spreading malice, yeah, malice nonsense about us. Not satisfied with that, he even refuses um, yeah, even refuses to welcome our other believers. He also stops those who want to do so and puts them out, uh, yeah, out of the church. Dear friend, do not, in- uh, well, no, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. Anyone who does what is good is from God. Anyone who does what is evil has not seen God. Um, D- Dem- Demetri- Demetrius, Demetrius, I think I Demetrius. Okay, Demetrius is well spoken of by everyone and even by the truth itself we also speak well of him and you know that our testimony is true i have much to write you but i do not want to do so with the pen and ink i hope to see you soon we will talk face to face peace to you the friends here send their greetings greet the friends there by name so again like john too he's like saying you know i'd rather see you in person and all yes that that's right stuff. it's a very personal letter isn't it this one yeah it's another personal letter um it's interesting that i think this one yeah has this specific guy that they're talking about diotrephus yes um, diotrephus what did you say diotrephus diotrephus i think i said diotrephus but it could be either yeah yeah um i do his character is very sim- similar to you know the assyrian sort of you know, kings sort of. Um, yeah, almost like the arrogant troll Arrogant thing. again. He's yes. once again arrogant. Um, He's drawing people to himself. Isn't loves, he? yeah. Loves to be first. Yeah. Loves to be first. I'm the boss around here. I'm the boss around that's, here. That's the attitude yeah. he has. Yeah. Just pinpoints this guy right here. Um, but in in both um, John two and in John three, I love how it's just, you know he's just encouraging them the whole time. Um, and I think, I, I, th- I think even in like if you're a pastor or anything. Um, hearing this, like, hear that my children are walking in the truth. Yeah. Um, dear friend, you are faithful in what you are, are doing for the brothers and sisters, even though they're strangers to you, just random people. Again, inviting, like, just random strangers yeah. to be a part of your, like, church community. So these are people who are, well, he's talking here about those that are coming and traveling. Traveling. Traveling ministry. Itinerant ministry. Yeah. 
people who are, are leaders coming into the church preaching. They're basically traveling around. You got to remember, there's no e- there's no email. <laughs> you know, there's no there's no YouTube, there's no podcasts. So how do they keep the churches connected with each other? You need a bunch of people who will go around and travel and spread word and teach on Sundays and then move on to the next church and teach on a Sunday. So itinerant ministry was even more important then than it is now. And that's what he's commending that, that uh, Gaius is happy to have these people in his home and he's hosting them well. And hosting them well. And it's just a simple way of going, thanks for doing that. Thank you for it doing It means that. a lot because yeah. this guy, Diotrephes, they don't like the te- he doesn't like the traveling teachers coming through because they're, they're detracting from his glory. Hmm. So he puts people out of the church who offer to have them in his house and do all that sort of stuff. And he's he's going, I tried to correct them, but Diotrephes basically had his had his way. So I'll deal with that when and I get there. Well, most of the, most of these letters just meant for encouragement. The, John's ones, yes. So there's a, I didn't touch on this in the last chapter. So there's a there's a bit of conjecture around to John and who it was written to because it says I'm writing this to the chosen lady and to her children. Yeah. And so I was going to bring that up. You yeah. were? Okay. So that see, so 3 John was clearly written to a person. A person, yeah. So now there's different schools of thought around who is the chosen lady. Is that a person or is that a metaphor for a particular church? Now, historically, I think the prevailing view throughout history, church history, has been that it was the church. Now there's a growing understanding that maybe that was just pa- the patriarchy saying that. Okay. The thought that, oh, the John would actually write to a woman who is leading a church would be seem so foreign. But now there's some good schools of thought out there that seem to indicate that in the same way that 2 John was written to a person, 3 John, sorry, that 3 John was written to a person, that 2 John may have been written specifically to a woman and her children, mm. not not metaphorically a church, the chosen lady. and And I'm no expert on that. I, I've seen the pros and cons of both, but I'm I'm very much open to the fact. The mystery that, is who is this woman? Who is this woman? Is, is, this it, woman? is it? But it makes perfect sense to me that if he would write to Gaius, he would write he would write to a woman as well. Yeah, it's, it's just true. What doesn't make sense to me is why he didn't name her. Why didn't he name? Yeah, that, yeah. that doesn't make sense because yeah. it's, it's it's such a lovely message. It is an encouraging like, message. Both two John and three John are encouraging. So it gives messages. me great joy to find that some of your children walking in the truth. Again, yeah. he says, "Oh, I'm excited. Th- I'm excited. Thank yeah. you for." Like, and he's heard this news because a whole bunch of. Traveling teachers have come back to him wherever he is at this time. Oh, by the way, when we were in such and such a town, your mate guys, he helped, he put us up for the night. He was awesome. He supported us. And it's like John gets good news and goes, "This is I'm going to write a letter. I'm going to send him a letter and thank him." Yeah, this is his way of sending a text message saying thank you, thank you. But he couldn't send a text message, so he writes it into a letter. Yeah, I do find um, it is interesting. Like the letters, like writing a letter in like this in the Bible. Is so like you're reading it so personally. It's, like it's written towards it's them written to, and you're reading it. You're it's reading like, it. Oh, what am I, what am I? It does give me an insight into yeah. how fatherly John was. Mm. As an old man, he clearly, you know, he, he says little children. He says in 1 John, I write this to you, little children, young men. He, he has this very fatherly attitude, uh, like a wise old man who wants to impart into the next generation. Yeah. Like I start to feel like a, I don't know how wise I am, but I'm an old man now, an older man, and I, want, I love sitting across the table from you because I feel like I, I, I want to see you growing and launching off what, into what God has for you, and hopefully you'll launch off my shoulders, not you know, not just have to learn the lessons I've had to learn the hard mm. way. That's what as, the older I get, the more I want to see others launch further than I've ever been, ever, will ever go. Mm. And that's what he's saying. So um, is uh, this John also the one who wrote Revelation? Yes. So the general prevailing. Because I know there's always this this pitter patter with like, was it yes. John? Who's which Who's John, John was it? Yeah, so throughout church history, the prevailing view has been John, who wrote the apostle, wrote the Gospel of John. 
is the same John that wrote 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John, okay. and also wrote and Revelation. Revelation. But that, that's not to say that's exclusive. There is good scholarly arguments as there could be different, someone different. There are some people who think that 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John could have been different to the Gospel of John. Uh, I don't. I can't see that. I think especially the language of love um, in in the Gospel of John and in the writings of John seems to be very strong to me, that they're all written by the same person. So, yeah, I think for most people would go it's the same person. But there are other thoughts around there, and maybe the guy who wrote Book of Revelation might be a totally different John, but I don't think that's the prevailing view. Okay. Cool. Yeah. All right, is that it? I think so. Oh, thanks, mate. You're very welcome. Oh, we'll get you back next year. That's right. It's been a pleasure being on here. Oh, thanks <laughs> for really coming. I enjoyed it. <laughs> yeah, it's been great to have you. Officially still the youngest. Yep. Yes. You can hold that title <laughs> until we – how old are you? Uh, 19. 19. You'll hold that for a while. Yep. Anyone who's younger than 19 that wants to come on the podcast, you can shout out and ask me. That's right. <laughs> Take up the challenge. Take up the challenge. <laughs> well, God bless you, everybody. Thanks for being with us. And, uh, look, it's Christmas season upon us as you, if you're listening to this in real time. So Merry Christmas. I know it's approaching fast. <laughs> yes, it is. It's still a few months away yeah. for us, but by the time this is released, it won't That's be. That's true. <laughs> All right. God bless you. And thanks, mate. Appreciate you being Thank with you us. Thank you so much, Rowan. It was See a ya. pleasure. No worries. No worries.